0: This is Lisa Picot, playing Mindy on Married with Children, Kelly's friend. This is Jennifer Lyons, also known as Bud Bundy's girlfriend,
1: Ariel. This is Juliet Tablack, also known as Marcy's niece, Amber. This is Harold Sylvester, also known as Griff. This is Amanda
2: Burse, also known as Marcy Rhodes' Darcy. This is David Faustino. Uh, I think you know me better, obviously, as Bud Bundy, uh, a.k.a. Grandmaster B.,
3: This is Michael Moy, creator of Married with Children. And And you're you're listening to the Married with with Children podcast. Let's
4: rock. Thanks, Dad.
1: Can I get a woman?
5: No man presents live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. We are here in the jiggly room for our Season 10 wrap-up show. My name is Annabelle, but you're cooking with butter.
2: I'm Stephen, and in just a minute I'm checking out the latest centerfold and Library and... Ah!
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Alga... (laughs) Uh just kidding. This is Chris Gunter. How's it going, y'all? Pretty good. And
4: hi, this is Luigi. I just spent a weekend at Dr. Richelieu's Love Compound and Water Park and learned, if you can't reach out to her with a weenie tot, how will you reach out to her with your heart?
2: <laughs> Who knows?
5: Indeed. <laughs> So this is the season 10 wrap-up show, as I said. And already we're at another another wrap-up show. I can't believe a whole another season has gone by. And for me, at least, it's gone by very quickly. I don't know if that's the same for you guys. But it's. I would call this the season of interviews so far. And we will mention and talk about those interviews in a second. And also talk about... All of the major events that have happened this season, such as they are, some big, some not quite, quite so big, some of our favourite guest stars or guest stars of note, our favourite episodes, our not so favourite episodes, this could be fun, our favourite podcast episodes, um, we'll talk about our favourite podcast, our favourite podcast guests, our, we'll talk about our podcast guest hosts. Send a shout out to them. And we've got the Hot Chicks, of course. And Luigi, tell us how many Hot Chicks there are this year.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, we have 58 names. Good Lord.
5: Oh, boy. And yes, ladies, I did find a couple of hunks in there, too. So just to begin with, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I don't want you to answer it now, but we'll come back to it this time in the season 9 wrap-up show and I think in the season 8 wrap-up show too, I asked you all did Married with Children jump the shark this season? And I don't know, I I might be able to guess what you're going to say, but perhaps a a more reasonable question would be when did the show jump the shark? But don't answer that now, We'll, we'll discuss that as we go along so the first thing that happened this season season 10 opened with literally oh my god because we had the pleasure the honor and just the absolute joy and luck to interview the man himself mr michael g moyer and I've had some time to digest it now, but honestly, I still cannot believe that happened. <laughs> so Alex and I, and Luigi, we, we all got to speak to, to Mr. Moy, and he was so cool, so gracious. He's such a humble, unassuming, just easygoing, cool guy, not very show-busy at all, and just filled with information and was willing to indulge us and answer all of our questions.
4: Yeah, I'd say some of the feedback we got on that is, you know, I think uh, some of the fans of the podcast were like, well, why didn't you ask this question? Or why didn't you ask that question? And, you know, the short answer is, I think if we had six hours to (laughs) talk to him, we could have gotten maybe a little more specific. But, uh, you know, with about the two hours that we spoke and... I think towards the end, he had gotten a little tired. <laughs> it, uh, that was sort of the best we can do with the amount of time we were allocated. And uh, quite frankly, I think like we pushed the envelope, but I think we, we'd sort of thought about an hour and a half and it ended up going to two.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm just amazed that, that we were able to get him. I mean, you know, it's, as I always say with, with any of the, with all these interviews, it's, it's amazing that we can get any of them, you know, um, uh, being a, a fan-run podcast, we don't have money to pay our guests. Our guests, you know, it's just kind of whoever will respond to us and sit down and give us the time. And you know, Ale- as Alex said in the interviews, like we were able to get in touch with God Himself in the married with children universe. <laughs> it's something you know, I'll be telling my uh, grandchildren probably thirty years from now. I'll be like, hey, I was part of the podcast that that got Michael Moyer to do a sit down interview with us. And it's really special too. We were able to get Harold Sylvester, Lisa Picot, Jennifer Lyons, and we got more in the pipeline coming next season, so yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. Well that was all thanks to you, Chris. Hmm.
2: I wanna give my hat off to you for being able to do that. That was just amazing.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean it's it's uh, real well it's a team effort you know we all put in the work getting the questions together and stuff like that I'm just the one that happens to be the one that does the emailing or instagram messaging or what have you <laughs> but um uh, well uh, hopefully we'll have some some uh, some more really good interviews coming in the in the future for our listeners because I know they enjoy them so
4: yeah I will say talking about moyer specifically for me that interview like i I think I've said this before on the podcast. I always wanted to know why Al Bundy was a shoe salesman, like why they chose that specific right. profession. That was my question, and the fact that I got the answer to it, and and the the answer I thought was pretty funny. I think it was funnier than what I could have imagined. That for all the hours of work that we've put into this, <laughs> you know, like I mean, to me, it, it, that was all worth it. Just knowing why Al was a shoe salesman. <laughs> was pretty much. It's like that's the only thing I ever wanted to know, and I've I've been like, I learned this new word from Annabelle this season: pedantic. How does you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I, um, like I I can't I can't describe to anyone like how satisfying it was for me to hear that answer uh, by yeah. the man himself. Yeah. You know, uh, because we could we speculated you know back in season nine. I had the assumption that it came from uh, the Carol Burnett show. And I was almost dead positive. And I think everyone seemed to agree with me. It's got to be this. But knowing the, the true answer from God himself just made it all worth it for me.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked a, a, a lot of the things he answered. You know, it was like I, I had speculated. I think a lot of people had speculated for a long time why the show introduced the character of Seven. You know, everybody knows that... Uh, seven is not well liked it's not a secret i, I had <laughs> speculated for a long time that in season six they had written the season around katie seagal's pregnancy and uh you know unfortunately she had the the miscarriage uh when she did and my my speculation or my my guess was that they had written the script for all these episodes surrounding a baby or a young child or what have you and uh in season seven they're like hey we, we already wrote all these scripts let's go ahead and produce the episodes well i was totally wrong <laughs> i was totally wrong totally wrong you know it was, yeah i got that one right yeah. yeah i think you got that one right yeah yeah it was totally you a network too. thing so i was way out in left field on that but that was nice uh, that was cool hearing it from from the man himself you know and that's that's a question that comes up all the time is why did the show introduce this kid well, now when we hear that, we'll say, "Hey, this is straight from the horse's mouth himself." This this was a network thing. You know, the show yeah. didn't really have a choice. From the voice of God, right? From the voice of God, you got it.
5: Yeah, and uh, don't forget, his wife Rose Jackson was on that ep- on on that interview as well at the end, and she had a big part in getting michael to do the interview but i think most of the thanks goes to chris on these i mean i think chris is the ideal person to approach these people especially on instagram and things like that because i think his natural friendliness just comes across they can tell he's a nice friendly guy and they think oh yeah he seems trustworthy let's 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 check out this what this guy's got
0: yeah
4: yeah we're we're not uh, bundy serial killers right
0: yeah. <laughs> well, it's all it's all luck. That's all luck. <laughs> I'm just waiting for one of them to say, "Hey, I'll do the interview, but we I need like twenty thousand dollars to do it, and I'll have to." Well, tell unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't have any money.
4: <laughs> uh, we we have a lot of K. We have a lot of K's though.
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> it's it's interesting to start off with a an interview that you know is is the top of the top. You cannot get higher than that. So, almost in my mind, I was like. Dude, I'm done. That is like I cannot achieve anything greater than that.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, and I just want to also say to the audience, uh, you know, Annabelle, you pretty much had like a, a breakdown, <laughs> like oh, sort yeah. of during that. I <laughs> mean, I, I I think you were you were curled up in a ball, as I recall you texting me, right? I mean, <laughs> right at the end of that, I think you were just in shock.
5: Yeah, I mean, you can hear it because I did uh, I did choke up at the end of that, and yeah, yeah, I just couldn't I just couldn't help it.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, Annabelle, personally, like I got a lot of satisfaction out of hearing you ask Moyet questions because, you know, as I pointed out to people, I found Bundiology 25 years ago, like in its early days. And, you know, I remember seeing your name in all of these things. So to hear you who've accumulated all this stuff and all, have all this info and to actually talk to Moyet, like I, I found that, like, I think I got more satisfaction out of it than you did. You know, because, it's like, because, I mean, these are your... I mean, like, the thing is, I think this is one of the things you've always wanted to do.
5: Oh, yeah. I mean, I could die happy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's almost indescribable. But that set us up quite beautifully to do more interviews. And we and we started last season with, with the lovely Juliet Tablack. And um, it's now continued into this season. And like Chris said, it might continue into season 11.
0: You're exactly right. It definitely helped. I... From from speak because I've spoken to Harold Sylvester a couple times on the phone now, personal conversations, and I'm pretty sure we would not have gotten him if we had not got Michael Moyer. Mm. Those two mm. went hand in hand, and then you know, you know, as you as you were saying, getting Juliet helped with approaching Lisa Picard and Jennifer Lyons.
5: Mm. And yeah, so it goes back to to Alex right. when him getting Amanda Burs on in the in the first place.
0: Exactly. Yeah, getting yeah. Amanda Burs that was that was the key, really, to to, to getting everything else. You know, because one leads to another. So
5: yeah, all hail Amanda Burrs.
0: I was talking with Alex, you know, via
2: messenger, and I said I kind of find it ironic, and he agreed with me on this that after the original crew had to split apart, that I don't think we would have gotten those interviews. Because, you know, he was doing all the work, and he wouldn't have been able to try and arrange all that and record all that. I thought that was just an interesting thing that that popped up, especially the Moyer interview. I don't think he would have seen that avenue to uh, get him in that way. And, and it's Harold Sebastian. He- hell, all of them. Yeah. So, yeah.
5: Definitely.
4: And I'll tell you, just, you know, one thing on the Moyet interview before we move to Lisa— it I was fun for me tag teaming uh, on producing that episode with Alex. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I got to see the master at work. You yeah, know, yeah. A- a- Alex has a very distinct way that he does his podcasts and the way he produces it and cleans them up. And uh, I, you know, like I think we've tried to mimic him, but uh, like I always say, like you know, we you can definitely tell it's like a Michelangelo, right? I mean, <laughs> you can try to mimic it, but it's very difficult to do the original. So. Uh, yeah. I have to give him props for that.
5: Absolutely. So after Moy, of course, we got Lisa Picotte, who played Mindy in three episodes in season 10.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure talking to her. She's very down to earth. And I, I remember, I guess it was Stephen and I talking to her, and she just talked about how she got started and, and and the the body of work that she put in to get into the industry. And, and now she... Uh, she really enjoys working with kids and, and getting them you know getting them involved and I follow her page online the uh, Lisa Picott's uh, Young actors' workspace, and see a lot of the stuff that she does with the kids. It's great, you know she's producing some really good young talent, so we're very thankful that she took time to talk to us definitely. What I learned
4: from that interview was really, like, I'd say what I'd call like the blue-collar aspect of the industry. I think, like, yeah. many people, when you think of, like, Hollywood, it's like you think of the Hollywood stars and the sunglasses, you know, and uh, people eating at these restaurants, <laughs> you, you know, and it's like, I, I think that was very eye-opening to me. Again, not being in the industry. Say, so it's like, hey, it's, it's, a, it's a job, and you're hustling, and... I mean, in her case, it's like she's got a business. She has two kids who are in the industry. She, her, her and her husband are in the industry. Like, they, they act, you know, they run a business, you know, they're parents. I mean, they're just normal people like you and me. And I think, like, really what Lisa drove home in that interview is the work ethic. It's really cool to be a big-name star, but there's plenty of people who are character actors or play a specific role. And what's life like for them? Like, how do they earn a living,
5: yeah, and I think uh, during, during lockdown, during the whole COVID thing, especially in 2020, for, I can think of a couple of actors here in Australia. They're, they're comedians and they're actors, and they would say, oh, because of the lockdowns and everything, they've just lost a, a year's amount of work, and that's, you know, 50 grand just gone, and you just realise, oh, wow, they are normal people like us. They just they need money to get by.
2: I also thought that, I don't jump in the head, but I thought it also came across with Harold Sylvester, his work ethic. And him yeah
5: chris that. you got to talk to him
0: yeah absolutely you know and and he is probably the just the most down-to-earth guy it, we, we we jokingly said this but it's true uh when, when we were talking to him how long did the uh, the interview end up being about two and a half hours roughly i think yep. um uh, but mm-hmm. I mean, it it could have it could have easily went five or six hours because I mean he would have talked to us all night. <laughs> I think it was Luigi uh, who, who you know who sent a message a, a group text to our, our our chat group and said we're an hour and in, in and we're only on question four <laughs> <laughs> of, of like <laughs> twenty five. <laughs> so he's he's just he's the nicest guy. I mean he's like talking to a guy at the gym. I mean he's super nice and he's just a mountain of knowledge. I mean. It's like, uh, it's kind of funny when when we watch an actor or a character in our favorite show, like Harold Sylvester, who plays Griff, we think of him as Griff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Harold Sylvester is a guy who got accepted to Harvard. He's a really, really intelligent guy. I mean, you you can learn a lot from him. He just has a mountain of knowledge.
4: Well, you know, we said that plenty of times. It's like it takes a smart person to play stupid well. Cool. And one thing, I mean, Harold, if you're listening, I, I really think you should write an autobiography. I mean, I think that might that mm. book might be bigger than the Bible.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's unbelievable that his memory. I mean, he he's a guy in his in his early 70s and uh, early to mid 70s, I guess now, and he he has the memory of an elephant. I mean, he's I was I was so amazed at how he's sitting and, and memorizing, you know, specific events and, and conversations from like. 50 years ago, you know, half the time, I can't remember where I was, uh, you know, this time last week. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I thought what was
4: most fascinating with Harold is he was talking about, like, for example, a lot about psychology, like some of the stuff he'd studied in college, and like mm-hmm. methods. I, mean, I was just blown away by like how analytical he was in terms of like his approach to acting. I mean, and then yes. you just look at this body of work over 50 years, and it's like, wow. Again, he was not a big-name star. I mean, he's not a, uh, he's not a Bernie Mac, right? Right. And I, and I was blown away that, you know, Bernie Mac could have been Griff, and I, I've been trying to imagine what that would have looked like. <laughs> I think, like, Bernie would have played the role a little more bombastically, you know, because that's just the way Bernie does it, or did it. I mean, I know he's passed on, yeah. but um, Harold just being like you know being in the industry and, and taking on different roles and again in right. roles that are very different than like who he is as a person as well that was um, I mean again that was very eye-opening but uh, uh, I would definitely want to be first in line for his autobiography if he ever writes one
0: absolutely absolutely yeah you know it you know I always talk about just understanding the difference between an, an actor or you know a performer and a character and it's just like it's amazing how in some cases you know performers and characters are are similar but in mr sylvester's instance as he said he's like he could not be more different from griff from his marriage to his wife and and you know his personal life and everything he's so different and just so incredibly intelligent you know when it comes to the industry and and everything else really
5: yeah definitely and just enormous successful career and speaking of being a smart person to play a dumb person, our final interview this season was the most recent one you've heard, which is with the lovely Jennifer Lyons.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's she's well on her way to becoming um, one of our most popular interviews, if not the most popular interview. Last time I saw, she was up over 800 views already on YouTube in basically 72 hours, you know. <laughs> Normally takes us weeks to accumulate that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it seems
5: she's brought a lot of new members into the Facebook group, too. So probably when this episode, when this wrap-up show goes out, it'll be well over 5,000. No, or at least 1,000.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. You guys have mentioned this, and I think it's prevalent. All of our the ones we've interviewed are real down-to-earth people. All of them. Mm-hmm. And that's just amazing to me that... They all got together and all that gelled and they had their work ethic and they are doing what they want to do and done what they've loved to do and can remember all those things and and they're grateful for it. They're grateful
1: for it.
5: Yeah, uh, uh, because they do something that they are passionate about. I think they could tell that we're doing something that we're passionate about too. Plus they're all just nice, lovely, down-to-earth people anyway so it, it all works and and hopefully we we do get a lot more interviews I mean we're trying.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know I think the thing that stuck out the most with me with Jennifer is that she really wanted to be a ballerina mm-hmm. and uh, you know sort of her I mean she got uh, what was it, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and had to find like a, a secondary career and uh, like, I, I think that you know what I got? I got in the interview is that, she, had that not happened, she would have been happy. You know, being that ballerina. Like I, I don't think that like acting was ne- necessarily like her first choice or first love, and uh, that's what she wants to do. And and it's great to hear that too. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that it happened to her, but it's also interesting to see. It's like, well, you know, I had I thought I was going to do one thing, and I've done something else. I've been successful with it cornered the market i mean and she's been a character actress you know for three decades and <laughs> we've seen her in a lot of things but she also has her her loves and
0: it's not what people
4: would think right
0: right yeah the way i'll remember you know i was listening in for the most part uh, as Stephen uh, steven and luigi were interviewing uh jennifer but the thing the thing i'll remember most from that 20 years from now is two things is first of all how smart she is you know how in t- just incredibly intelligent she is and number two i remember how cool it was to, to listen to her talk about how she was a fan of married with children before her appearance on it you know it, which is uh, kind of unique a lot of the uh, guest stars we've interviewed have said you know it was like well i had heard of it i'd seen an episode or two but wasn't necessarily a, a fan of it you know it was kind of work for them which of course there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but it was really cool listening to Jennifer talk about how, you know, one week she was watching the show on Fox, and the next week she's sitting next to Christina Applegate in a table read. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool.
4: Yeah, and I think they all appreciated that, too. I think, like, they all appreciated, like, having people who were, like, fans.
0: and You know, like, <laughs> I mean,
4: if you look at the Moyet uh, interview, like, uh, Stephen, for example, people who watch the show, they focus on the character, right? So, like, I think that if people had, you know, if, let's say we had Ed O'Neill or Katie Seagal or David Faustino or Christina Applegate, I mean, yeah, I mean, that would draw a big audience. And I think what you hear from them, you know, because I think we've all watched interviews of them, they played characters and they move on and, you know, maybe they're a little over like maybe Christina Applegate's a little over Kelly Bundy, right? But I mean, the guy who created them I mean, to me, that's a more interesting interview because in an alternate world, could it be Tina Caspary as Kelly Bundy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's still going to be Kelly Bundy as, in terms of a character. So to know how that character came to life and sort of like what was going through the head of, of the creator to say, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> on the first day, God said, let there be Al Bundy. Right, and he's going to work in a, and he's going to work in a shoe store. And this, it's like he's built up a, a universe that we, as the consumers of this, sort of go into, and it's like, and we, like, it's almost like he has the ability to make our imaginations do things that we wouldn't have done had he not thought of it, and wrote it down and committed it to paper. So I think that that to me is the is. The, is why the, I don't think anything will ever top the Moyer interview. I mean, again, for true fans, yeah. I don't know, like. Like, what do you think of that?
0: Oh, I agree a whole, wholeheartedly. I mean, you, you hit the nail right on the head there with, with everything you said. The characters, of course, an individual actress like Christina Applegate or Tina Casper you may put their own individual spin on it or their own personal spin on it. But you're correct when a when a creator, writer. You know, creates a character and writes dialogue. You know, it, it may be up to the individual actor, actress to deliver it with their own spin, but it's still going to be Kelly Bundy or it's still going to be Bud Bundy or Al Bundy. I never in my life thought I would be involved in in getting the the creator of Married with Children to do an interview with the podcast. You know, <laughs> I, I just I loved him as young Zeke in uh, Route Six Sixty Six. <laughs> my favorite line as a kid was always when he goes. He killed his better with his feet. <laughs> I, was, I always laughed at that one.
4: No, I mean, St- Steve, you're an ex-minister. I mean, I went biblical on that. I mean, like, what, what's yeah. your opinion on uh, my analysis?
2: Yeah, he is a creator, and that is their job. They create, they write. Kind of like in a Supernatural, when they, were, uh, when they finally found out who God really was, it was that guy who was writing the novels about Sam and Dean, the fan fiction. And eventually he became God because he was writing everything. And Metatron took over and tried to be the writer. And that's what writers do. I mean, I'm an amateur writer and I'm creating something and it's my creation. And it's going to be dealing with the struggles of the everyday people. And well if, if Al isn't struggling, I don't know who is.
1: Yep
5: so we've covered the interviews quite thoroughly i think so let's talk about some of these major events that happened in season 10 and well there's there's two i have in mind and they both happened at the start of the season in the first episode of this season we realize the kids are getting older especially bud so he has to move out of his boyhood bedroom and he moves into the basement But that then means that somebody else moves into the house. So we are introduced to Peg's parents. So Peg's mum moves in for this season, and she's like the seven character of season 10. However, in our advantage, at least, we don't have to look at her, and she knows how to deliver a joke. And she's played by the late Kathleen Freeman... And Peg's father, who's introduced um, later in that episode, is played by the late Tim Conway. Both amazing, gifted comic
0: actors. Well, I guess I'll speak on uh, Ephraim and Peg's mom. I think we all know by now that the reason that the the two of them were introduced was because of the fact that that Katie Seagal was out on maternity leave. They needed to create a way for Peg to, to be absent for... Uh, what was it about seven or eight episodes, roughly, something like that? They 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 needed to create a way for her to be absent, so you know they did what they they did what they did. I told Luigi this when we were reviewing Barely Men. I just never was able to like the character of Ephraim. And Tim Conway is a very gifted actor, and very gifted performer, incredible career. But the character of Ephraim Wanker, I was just never able to i never warmed up to him i thought he was too goofy too corny i guess in his defense at least two of the the uh, episodes that he's prominent in are two of the weakest episodes of the whole season in my book barely men actually i would say barely men is one of the weakest in the whole series <laughs> and then um <laughs> uh, guess the who are the uh, uh
5: guess who's coming to breakfast lunch and dinner
0: yeah, 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 I couldn't get it out. Yeah, guess who's coming yeah. to breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I was not fond of that episode either, so... But uh, that's my thoughts on it. I mean, they, they did what they had to do, given uh, Katie Seagal's absence, but I, uh, at, at least the Ephraim character, I never warmed up to. Peg's mom, you know, although, you know, you said she's kind of the seven of the season, you know, she's introduced, and then we we never see her for, you know, we don't see her for a few episodes, then she's here, then she's there gone, then she's here, then she's gone... She at least could able could deliver some some funny lines. That's for sure. But uh, I couldn't warm up to the Ephraim uh, the Ephraim character. What do you guys think?
2: Well, I uh, had some thoughts on this because you, you always talk about the final act and season nine. I thought was really good. They inter- introduced all these new characters. I think that was part of something they were trying to do in season ten: introduce more characters. I can't remember who it was. Uh, I can't remember which episode was it. But either you, Chris, or Luigi were talking about how, you know, it just didn't work very well. And that it didn't add to the plot much. And at this point it's really kinda of late. If they wanted to introduce the parents, they should have done that in season one or two or three. Would have had a much lo- last much more lasting impression than just the the two out there. And I agree. I don't I don't think they wrote well for Ephraim and not even a good actor can say bad writing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right.
4: Now, you know, we're going to talk about some of our guest co-hosts uh, a little later, but um, I will say, like, uh, one of the guest co-hosts who I think I've learned the most from is Carolyn. Again, another Bundiology uh, original, like the OG, right? <laughs> um, she, um, you know, it's, it's some of her reflections in the interviews, uh, in the episodes that we've reviewed with her, she says Moye and Levitt, uh, in certain instances, will allow your imagination to your imagination will do a better job of imagining the character than anything they can do on screen. I feel like having Peg's mom's voice appear, even as Kathleen Freeman, took away from the character of Peg's mother. I feel like up until season ten, she was always off screen. You never heard her, right? So, not hearing her, i think like made it funnier if you can if if uh that makes sense like if you think about uh even going back to season two, like just uh, the uh, all in the family episode, yeah, like you know or uh when she shows up uh with the uh when she's sleeping in the bed next to Peg, what was that season three <laughs> uh, Annabelle
5: no, that's season two that's for him the bell tolls
4: that's it i mean like, I, I feel like that was funnier. Than having actually Kathleen Freeman read dialogue off. Yeah,
1: yeah so you I mean, want it
5: left to your own imagination because your own imagination can think of something, quote unquote, better than right. if we were told something outright. Yeah,
4: that's right. And like I said, that's something that's really stuck out with me from Carolyn, and I feel like uh, that would have that could have worked better. Although, like again, with the dialogue, like you sort of need something to work. I mean, like for example, in the butter episode. You need to hear the voice of Butter <laughs> to then contrast that to Kathleen Freeman's voice, right? Yeah. But uh, I feel like maybe with some clever writing, she could have remained voiceless, <laughs> to use a better term.
0: Yeah, you know, when it's good writing, it does work, though. Like it, like you said, in, in the Butter episode, we needed dialogue, and they gave us good dialogue, and it worked. <laughs> It was funny because they had something good to work with, you know, and that was that's an episode we all like. That was a, a Griff centric episode. And that particular episode, it worked. But, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And what Carolyn said, I think is I think she's onto to something there. <laughs> when you when you leave it up to the imagination, more often than not, it's going to be funnier than anything you could you could actually produce <laughs> or show, for say, uh, for example.
5: Yeah, Carolyn is very insightful and
0: smart.
5: Yep. <laughs> so, um, I was going to say something about um, good writing and how a season 10 seems to be lacking that for, for the most part. But we'll talk about a little... We'll, we'll embellish on that in, in a minute. I do give the show some props for, like you said, Chris, setting up a storyline to allow Katie Seagal to leave the show for a bit. I'm not sure what else they could have done. I'm sure there's a lot of things they could have thought of but she was pregnant when the when season 10 began so they already knew something had to be put in place so from calendar girl onwards she's on the phone in these pre-taped inserts and then she's gone for you know 10 episodes or whatever it is yeah 9 or 10 episodes and then she comes back in the season finale with her father and in that time that she's gone between when she leaves and when she comes back we find out that her father has come to take her mother home so we just realized hang on her her mother has been in the house this whole time and thankfully we didn't have to hear from her or or, or have reference to her or whatever but apparently she's just been floating around this whole time we're well, not floating <laughs> but she's been around in the house this whole time and i, I do find it interesting that uh, peg's parents are literally the only two people on the entire show to refer to peggy by her full first name which is margaret and Peg's mom, incidentally, doesn't seem to have a first name. Mama. Or just Mama.
2: I kind of wish they would have done something with this. And that's Al's parents. We know Al's father is deceased. But we don't know much about his mother at all. I remember a few references here and there, but it might have been a good idea. And there was, I remember one scene when he, was, yep, when he was yelling at someone who was a debtor who owed him money. And it was turned out to be his mom, <laughs> and I think it would have been good to incorporate her too. If you're going to incorporate one, why not incorporate the other?
5: Yeah, I think we were supposed to believe that Al's mother is a raging alcoholic.
0: <laughs> That's one thing. Yes. Yep. My, my my favorite reference to his mom is when he's eating that uh, toothpaste sandwich, and <laughs> yeah, right, mom. Try saying that when you're sober. <laughs> We yeah. do
5: hear Al's mother way back in season one, but she sounds like a very fragile little old lady. It's like, hello?
1: <laughs> hello?
5: <laughs> Peggy's <is> at <that> you?
2: <laughs> and, and there there was an, also a reference of Grandma Bundy dying, because when Kelly ha- was wearing her, her particular dress, is that the one I need to wear when, when I went to Grandma Bundy's funeral? So it's kind of like, again, there's no consistency, but it would have been fun to see al's mom yeah
1: yeah, yeah. It probably would have. yeah
5: what well, could have been mm-hmm. so yeah they set up the storyline of peg's father going off around the world and peggy going to chase him so Ephraim wanker as played by tim conway appears in four episodes guess he's coming to dinner barely men as we've mentioned and love conquers al and the jokes on al and I, I think he he liked his time on the show because he did appear in the uh, the Married Children True Hollywood Story that the E Network did in two thousand one, and he talked a little bit about the show in there. So he's probably the first big guest star of this season. He, and you know, if if you know her voice, Kathleen Freeman is as well. And there were some other guest stars this season. I'll just read out this quick list, and you guys can talk about names that jump out or jump out as as your favourites or or least favourites even. We had Tim Conway, Kathleen Freeman, Ben Stein, Joseph D. Reitman, who played Kelly's boyfriend, Genghis. He had a recurring role. King Kong Bundy, Leland Orser. He's the guy who plays Mr. Director. Joey Segal. He's in there. He's Katie Segal's brother, of course. Shannon Twee, Terry Bradshaw, Edward mm. Hibbard, Mark D. Espinosa, who played Carlos. Richard J. J.J. Johnston, Iqbal Tabor, Mickey Jones, Pat Morita, Matt Borlenghi, Alan Thick, Gene Spiegel Howard and Rance Howard, Beverly Archer, Larry Brown, Roy Jones Jr., Richard Klein, Deborah Harmon, and Gary Coleman.
0: I mean, that's a great list. The ones that stand out to me right off the bat are um uh, Tweed and Bradshaw, and Those are probably my two favorite episodes of the season but i mean you know pat Morita, you know mr miyagi gary coleman I and mean, <laughs> the list goes on and on and on some great guest stars this year chris you said uh you were kind of faded out a little bit at least on my end who was the first one you said oh shannon tweed i was saying shannon tweed and uh, okay. terry bradshaw okay There's- i got
2: terry bradshaw i didn't hear shannon tweed those were my two favorites Uh, A little bit of trivia. Shannon Tweed and I, we share a birthday. Oh, cool. Yeah, and of course I grew up watching Terry Bradshaw playing in the NFL, and so he was another one of my favorites. You mentioned Beverly Archer. I didn't consider her a guest star. I called her a recurring character, even though she only recurred twice. Well, there's there's a
5: couple of recurring characters there, but... She stands out. Just cause, uh, I mean, I, I like her very much. And she was, she was in Mama's Family, wasn't she? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
2: And I, I was thrilled when she came back. I always thought that character was hilarious. Oh, and, I love her. And she was in what I consider the best episode of season 10. When Bud hits the books. I mean, she was perfect to fulfill that role in that particular thing. I was thinking of one other one, but I can't remember who it was. Um, One other uh, guest star, but uh, it went out of my mind. Maybe I'll come back to
0: it later. I mentioned this in the group, jokingly, uh, after you know when when we were talking about Beverly Archer before. Is she someone that I I badly misjudged her age? (laughs) That's because I watched Mama's Family when I was really young. She's currently seventy-three years old. Old right now. She's younger than Ed O'Neill. (laughs) <laughs> but it's like, well, you know, when you watch something as a kid, everyone seems like an old, like an old man or an old woman or whatever. But when I was watching Mama's Family, thirty years ago. If you would have asked me her age, I probably would have said seventy three then, <laughs> but she's she's seventy three right now, and that's because of the way they dress her up, you know, it's like I mean, I, I guess we all know now that Vicky Lawrence, I think, was one of the youngest ones on the show.
1: Yeah, she was
0: uh, on Mama's Family, <laughs> and again, it's because of the way they dress them up and doctor them up. I would have thought she would be like close to a hundred now. <laughs>
2: and She got started doing that on the Carol Burnett show, playing Mama. And Carol Burnett was Eunice. And so that's how they spun that one off from the skit in the Carol Burnett show. So it's kind of interesting.
4: Now, one comment I'll make in terms of the guest stars. Carolyn had made a great observation again. Thanks, Carolyn, about uh, Ben Stein. She's like, here he is, an accomplished actor. And they dressed him up in a chicken suit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was the other one I was trying to think of Ben Stein because I think at that time Ben Stein's money was in heavy rotation on Comedy Central
4: no I think it was before that the The chicken suit was before Ben Stein's money
2: okay well in either case I just he was the one other one that stood out and yes he's an accomplished actor but he's also uh, he's an economist and has been involved in politics, but, you know, I was just impressed that he did that. He's done other things, too, and it's just amazing how to see how versatile some people can be in their profession.
4: Yeah.
5: Yeah, he's not just the guy. He's known for saying, Bueller, Bueller.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, although, although they did parody that in the episode. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, when we talk about jumping the shark, I'd say Season 10, I think there's a big acknowledgement by Married with Children that they had become a cultural phenomenon. I think like by the time you get to season 10, you have this list of people really who are actors and actresses that most of the public was aware of, right? As guests. Plus, uh, you know, the <laughs> the numerous hot chicks. So I think to your point... Annabelle when you talked about it's not a question of if the shark <laughs> jumped it's a question of when and at what point I mean that is uh, uh, I, we'll get to that in a little bit but uh, I think just the fact that the list is so long cause I think this is the longest list of guest stars of notable guest stars right that I think it becomes telling that you sort of need the gimmick
2: <laughs> to keep hmm. people engaged yeah Because they were bleeding ratings that time in season 10 and season 11 for that matter. Oh, definitely. And I think that was their attempt to get some audience members back, but usually that doesn't happen with TV shows in their latter years.
5: Other than Beverly Archer, who's a recurring character, as you say, she's one of my favorites this season. My other favorite is another recurring character, and that's Mr. Director, played by Leland Orser. And mm-hmm. I like him for two reasons. I, don't, I just love his character anyway. And we saw him in Season 9, and we saw him twice in Season 10. And then I started seeing Leland Orser in a lot of different other things. And he's an extremely gifted actor. And he was in an episode of SVU, and he made me cry. So he's a, a wonderful actor who deserves more credits, in my opinion.
0: Mm. Yeah. I didn't know that yeah. about him. Yeah, he's good. I enjoy, I enjoy his parts in the show. He's really good at playing, like, like a really dry sarcasm. <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah.
4: Well, I mean, also, in terms of, like, a, a character, like, you know, actors who appeared more than once, maybe in different roles, King Kong Bundy, right? And that was a, a big stretch. Uh, we have um, Matt Borlenghi, right? I mean, more of, like, a character actor who appeared twice on the show. Obviously, the old lady, Jean Spiegel Howard. Gary Coleman, of course. I believe that I'm missing one more. Deborah uh, Harmon? Deborah Harmon, of course, yes.
2: Never mind. I, I was thinking of Lisa Pateau, but she's a recurring character. Uh, she's in the hot chicks list.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
5: we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. <laughs> in, just uh, incidentally, Matt Borlenghi is active on Facebook. and He's active in one of the married children groups. Not my page, but uh, a different one. But he did reply to a comment I wrote because someone posted a a picture of him with Nicole Eggert. And he said, oh, that's me kissing her stomach, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, you were one of the highlights in this episode. Did they remember you from your appearance in season eight? And he said something like, I don't think so. I think I just came back in and they didn't remember me or they didn't care or whatever.
2: I wanted to say that um, Jennifer Lyons mentioned in her interview that... When she was on Twisted, it, she said that they were flubbing their lines and not seem to be into it. I think that's a good... You know, and that was the season 11 premiere. So she kind of mm. witnessed even the actors were burnt out on the show.
1: They are
5: phoning it in, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's all interesting, and I think this is going to be something we'll talk about this time next season. <laughs> so, yeah, so I mentioned Nicole Eggert and we just talked about Jennifer Lyons. So now that brings us on to a huge list of hot chicks. But some are repeats, but I'll, I'll run through the list super quick. And this is in chronological order. So we've got Jennifer Aspen as Jamie. Jamie Music as Rebecca. Melanie Paul as Melissa. Marcy Brickhouse as Taylor. Shanna Wall as Chantel. Lisa Marie Scott as Halla. Janine Michelle as Lula Luya Barbara Balderi as Sexy Woman Carrie Genzel as Nasty Natalie (laughs) Uh, Mariah Davis as Anytime Lisa Picotte as Mindy Heidi Mark as Ashley Lisa Boyle as Fawn, Sarah Ann Morris as Jessica Tina New as Debbie. Shannon Tweed as Shannon Tweed. Shay Marks as Inga. Donna Derricker as Helga. Jennifer Wade as cheerleader. Vicky E. Milburn as Mamie. Christina Solis as Esmeralda. Lisa Boyle as Fawn again. Tiffany Grenath as Pancake.
1: <laughs> Glory Gold as Naomi.
5: <laughs> Vanessa Valentino as Cindy, Jennifer Lyons as Ariel, Lisa Arturo as Farah, Melissa Sousa as Jacqueline, Veronica De La Cruz as Kate, Kim Whiteley as Danielle, or Danielle I should say, Krista Allen as Crystal Clark, Patti Brenton as the Pilgrim Girl, Tina New as Woman One. Santel, Sant- oh, God Sant- Santangelo. Santangelo as Sierra Madre. <laughs> Tracy Bingham as Lap Dancer. Lisa Picott as Mindy. Heidi Mark as Ashley. Lisa Boyle as Fawn, Faith Sally as Lana. Sharon Escher as Natalie. Tonya Watts as Scarlett. Denise Hulsey as Waitress. Renee Tennyson as Marla. Angela Spangler as Bambi, Angela Strader as Turquoise, Nicole Eggert as Shannon, Terry Ivans as Maria, Melissa Chan as Keiko, Jennifer Lyons as Ariel, Andrea Natoli Kelly as Linda, Karen Lynn Scott as Dina, Susan Sloan as Becca, Renee Tennyson as Marla, Rosie Tennyson as Carla, Petra Cake as Model 1, Victoria Fuller as Model 2, Deborah Harman as June Morgan, and C. Jordan Moore as the female detective. <laughs>
4: <Whew. laughs> Gotta take a drink of water, or maybe a, a shot, a, a bottle of VB, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: a couple. And that's another thing that kind of shows you that the show was... Um... It was just so focused on the hot girls. I think that's why the quality and writing kind of dip. They thought, we'll bring in hot girls and we'll bring in guest stars and that'll solve the problem. No, that's not going to solve the problem. You need to have mm. good writing.
5: Yep, we come back to good writing. So who are some of your favorite chicks?
2: <laughs> I'm going to say my favorite ones included Lisa Boyle. One of Kelly's friends. Another one of Kelly's friends, Lisa Picote And Krista Allen on Calendar Girl. I thought she was uh, pretty hot. I even kind of like uh, Carrie Genzel in Flight of the Bumblebee. And then there was one more. I can't remember. Even though she had more of a role, I don't. I can't remember if she was including the list. But the girl who played Esmeralda in, wasn't that Love Conquers Al? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Christina Solis Christina Solis that's it yeah because I thought she was smoking hot those are my favorite
0: I'll take all 58 personally <laughs> <laughs> yeah you but... wish <laughs> <laughs> on a on a serious note though i, I mean this is like it's it just to pick three is like it almost a, an impossible question to answer and i will I'll, I'll frame it like this. You know Lisa Pacote is portrayed as as a nerd in, in her three appearances. You know, as, particularly the first her first appearance, the uh, where she's wearing that headgear that she spoke about in the interview. But uh, in reality, she's a, a really really good looking woman, very attractive woman. Now, of course, in, in many cases she's standing next to Playboy playmates, though <laughs> that gives you an idea mm-hmm. of all these ladies. But she's a really attractive woman. You know, but you know, if I had to pick, you know, a few here, the the ones that always stand out to me are uh, Helga and Inga from the two that got away. It uh, has one of my favorite lines in the whole season too, and I'm Alga. <laughs> but Helga and Inga, all of the girls from Blonde and Blonder, including Lisa Bicote, Ariel of course, Jennifer Lyons, and then Crystal Clark who played, you know, well Crystal Clark, Krista Allen, so. I always liked those. It's hard to pick just 3, but I'm going I'm going to go with that group. Oh, and one last one, Nicole Eggert. Although her acting was very subpar. <laughs> we we talked about that. She looked drop dead gorgeous in Enemies. So, that's my list. Luigi?
4: Yeah, all right.
0: So, again,
4: one thing I want to point out like when I put the list together, you know, I had to go through all the IMDb pages. More than about I'd say two thirds of the list there were of the women on the list were Playboy playmates. <laughs> so uh, it is probably this is like the most difficult one of all. I mean it wasn't like you know, like one or two. I mean certain episodes had like three playmates on. You mm-hmm. know, so and they're at the top of their game. Again, we're we're grading them based on the way that they looked on the show. I'll give you, I guess, my tops. But I think we, one thing is we do, you do have to pick a top. So uh, we do have to go back. So uh, look at the list. But a couple that just stand out to me, Barbara Baldieri, who was the sexy woman in episode seven. That was, uh, how bling was Mike Kelly? I
2: forgot about that one. So
4: boy, I mean, like like that was. I mean, she she just comes out and it's like, uh, excuse me, what's my name? <laughs> Where am I? <laughs>
5: David Fassbender was really acting in that in that scene. Oh, oh yeah,
4: <laughs> I have to go with Shannon Tweed as well. I mean, she was just I think stunning in that uh, episode. And the thing is, you know, uh, one thing I want to point out about the uh, going through the list, like I think that if, if I was going through the list, con, you know, at contemporaneously, like if I was 17, I probably would have had a different list than I have, mm-hmm. you know, today. But I thought Shannon Tweed was, you know, just, I mean, stunning. I mean, obviously, Krista Allen was, uh, I mean, also, again, just like stunning. Renee Tennyson. I think was also like, I mean, just drop dead gorgeous. So you remember she was in a few episodes in, uh, in season 10. So to me, like of the three, uh, I'll probably, I think I'll go with Shannon and an ob- honorable mention, Jennifer Lyons, of course, Helga and uh, Inga, <laughs> so Shay Marks and Donna Derrico. I said, it's, it's hard to pick.
5: Yeah, this has got to be the, the most difficult season.
4: Those will be. And again, so, and when I also rated Renee, you have to also uh, throw in her sister Rosie, because they're identical
5: twins. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, she's got an identical twin, so there, takes care of two right there. <laughs>
4: yeah, but uh, like I said, I mean, of the three, I, I think Shannon looked stunning. Although, like, I probably wouldn't have voted for Shannon when I was 17. I probably would have gone with like the younger girls, but I mean, really, Renee Tennyson, I mean, when you look at her, if you look at her, especially in Torch Song Duet, I mean, you get a better look of her, like because like she's more part of the episode. I mean, Is that just the stunning. one she's
5: wearing this really tight blue dress. Correct. Yeah, yeah. see, so that stands out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Devil with a blue dress on. <laughs> yep. Who who was the lady that, uh, in Torch Song Duet that was with? Uh... The guy who plays Larry on Three's Company.
4: Uh, you mean Petra Verkayek? Is that who it was? Yeah, that was the blonde was Victoria Fuller.
0: Okay. Uh, Petra Verkayek was the, the brunette. Yeah, I remember when we reviewed that episode. It was you and me that reviewed that one, wasn't it? I yep, was that's like, right. I was like, you know, she may not be the hottest chick on here, but her hooters are bigger than my head, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when she walked in... And you don't you don't really see it until she's turned sideways, but Jesus Christ! No. <laughs> I mean, no. they're literally bigger than my head, man. <laughs> Mount, she's like Rocky Mountains. Remember Rocky Mountains?
4: Oh yeah. But they're all stunning. I mean, like it's not to take away, but from a list of fifty-eight, it's like I mean, I, like I, I, I'm with you, uh, Chris. I, to give him, I'll take them all. <laughs> I <don't> care, right? <laughs> you know? But uh, I mean, like just like wow. And the casting directors must have had a, a field day that season, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
5: It's LA. LA is full of hot chicks, but it's for a show set in Chicago. And some of them look very Los Angeles-y to me sometimes. The girl that Bud had at the beginning of season 10, Jamie. Oh, yeah. She stands out for me because she's, she was very cute. And she, she didn't look as trashy as some of the girls who came after her. So for me, she stands out. And plus she had a, a, a meteor role as well. And i got to put a vote in for Jennifer Lyons because she is so sweet and having listened to her being interviewed and what a fan she is of the show, that sort of ups the ante in my book a little bit. I see what you mean about Shannon Tweed too. Plus, uh, again, with the role that she was playing, she was making fun of herself. So that's, that's very appealing. And there's another chick. She appeared twice in two very minor roles. But in Blonde and Blonder, when Bud said he's going to du- uh, escort himself over to the hot redhead, and she slaps him across the face. I thought she was hot, and she appeared again in Calendar Girl. She came into the shoe store and said, No, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to the other shoe store. And she was played by Tina New. And Crystal Clark, I mean, she's stunning as well.
0: Yeah. I think it was Stefan that pointed out that uh, Crystal Clark is the same girl from the the elevator scene in liar liar (laughs) yeah really shocked that i was never never able to make that connection because liar liar is one of my favorite movies (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah that's that's so funny i'm glad he pointed that out
5: she also if i'm not mistaken dated bruce willis Uh, in real life i mean yeah Okay, so we've have we covered the hot chicks sufficiently enough? you think
4: well, I, and the thing is, I don't think like there's like one who stands out. I think we all voted for different ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, like I think in prior seasons, there's usually been like you know like sort of one name that's repeated somewhat, but I mean, I think the fact that there's just such a long list, I mean obviously everyone uh has their preferences in terms of attractiveness, but I mean, this was a very difficult one,
0: yeah, heck, I mean. Uh- I had forgotten just how insanely hot Jennifer Lyons is, you know. It's like until we started kind of focusing on her for her interview and everything, man, she is just drop-dead gorgeous. And she's she's aged like a fine wine. She looks amazing to this day, you know. I was about to say, she, uh, she's still sexy, beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely.
5: Yeah, and the same with Juliet Tablack. I think it's the dancer gene. A lot of these... Ladies who started out dancing or, or still dance when they can. I mean, I think they just, they age well.
4: <laughs> yep. But like I said before, Jennifer Lyons, for example, I mean, beautiful woman. But like my, me in my early 40s looking at her at, at the age of 19 today, right? I mean, like I have like maybe more of a different reaction than, let's say, Shannon Tweed at the age of 30, looking at her when she was 38 back then. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> that's why I said it's like if, if I was. If I was 17 when uh, season 10 ended, 17, 18, uh, you know, I'm going to look at it differently. Again, I look at them differently than I do today.
5: Yeah, totally. So that's the Hot Chicks. They're some of our most notable guest stars for the season.
4: So so what's the Hot Guys for you, Annabelle?
5: Oh, the Hot Guys? Oh, well, I thought about this, well, (laughs) not as much as I would have liked, but... The ones that come to mind are again in *Blonde on Blonde*. You know, Casper Van Dien, who played Eric Waters. He is very cute, and also in *Algoes to the Dogs*. You know, the guy that Kelly brings home or is seen making out with on her front door. We don't even. We barely see his face, but I can just tell he's hot somehow. <laughs> he doesn't even have a name.
1: He doesn't get to speak, and you
5: yeah, know that's fine with me. <laughs> and Kelly's boyfriend Carlos I'm not a huge fan of his character per se but I liked him fine but he is a good-looking guy so yeah I mean again it's 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 TV everyone's no one's unattractive so <laughs> if anyone like say the character of Mindy is it's ugly they're TV ugly at best so yeah no one's ugly but I'm uh, yeah I'll I'll think about the hot guys again but they're those those first two I mentioned, especially they're the ones that stand out. Okay.
4: Uh, what about Matt Borlenghi?
5: Yeah, he, he doesn't. He's he's alright. I mean, again, he's he's not unattractive. It's just just okay. doesn't do it for me completely. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> Would I kick him out of bed? No. <laughs> uh,
4: now, now you're quoting uh, Alex. <laughs> he had said that uh, when we had this discussion at the season seven wrap-up show. <laughs> With uh, Vanna White,
5: right. <laughs>
4: mm.
5: <laughs> so yeah, that pretty much covers a, uh, the guest stars of season ten, and there were quite a lot of them, and some new. And we'll talk about it. The the more recurring characters as we go along. We've we've touched on them a little bit, but the other major event that happened at the start of season ten was a sad one. Buck the dog had to retire, so. Buck Bundy, sadly, dies in the third episode of the season in Requiem for a Dead Briard. And then he's regenerated, or reincarnated as Lucky the Dog.
4: Yeah, this is in Doctor Who. (laughs) 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 Uh,
5: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, the main thing is Buck dies and is replaced with Lucky the Dog. Both dogs trained by the same trainer, Stephen Ritt. But the behind-the-scenes reason is because Buck the dog had to retire because he was, he was just getting way too old.
0: And it's kind of sad.
5: It's very sad, yeah. Yeah,
0: it is sad. I think I mentioned this when uh, Luigi and I were reviewing this episode. I still remember the uh, the preview for this episode as a kid. And, and the preview was uh, you know just that a member of the Bundy family will die this episode me and my family speculated on who it would be. And believe it or not, we all thought it was going to be Al, since he was the oldest and probably in the worst health. <laughs> but hmm. lo- you know, looking back and reflecting now, that was pretty dumb because they're not going to kill off the main character, the star character of the show. <laughs> but, uh, you know, opening scene when it showed that uh, photo of Buck, we knew, you know, of course we knew it was Buck then, but it's sad, you know, I don't know. It wasn't the same without Buck.
2: I can't remember... Who said it lucky the dog he doesn't seem like a bundy type of a dog too cute no too proper yep
0: yeah Mhm. lucky looks way too fancy and expensive for the bundies
5: yeah like you say lucky was too cute like he's too young too cute and buck always looked like he belongs with the family and he was the perfect dog for the bundies so any replacement dog had big shoes to fill
0: Yep. Yep. i
5: don't know i mean I don't know if you've ever thought about married children with a different kind of dog other than a Cocker Spaniel. I mean, I guess they wanted to go completely different from a Briard and have a different size dog, younger, cuter. I don't know. That's something we can ask Stephen Rip one day, hopefully.
4: Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
5: Yep. And Lucky the Dog, I happen to know, passed away in
4: 2008. Mm. Mm. Well, good to know.
5: Not to be horribly maudlin.
4: Yeah, but no, but but, well, a pretty long life for a dog. Yeah,
5: he still lived a long, happy life. And Stephen Ritt is clearly a, a good dog trainer. So Lucky's voice stays the same, so to speak. He's the same voice as Buck throughout the season. And it's interesting in season 11, he doesn't speak at all. After Buck dies and is regenerated as Lucky, the show has to reflect this, so we get a new, entirely new credit sequence. And that includes a new couch sequence, and we first see this in uh, Reverend Al, the fourth episode of the season. And the the couch sequence, especially, was very much due for a, an update because we had the actors would get their shots updated sporadically throughout the years, and then they'd cut to a couch sequence from season four. So it was about time for an update. It only lasted this season because season eleven will chop that. Uh, couch part off. They'll truncate the opening credits, but we got an entirely new set of credits, and it may not be interesting to anybody but me and maybe even one other nerd out there. But I always find it interesting when shows change credits or change up something like that.
0: I'm glad they did because it looked weird. It always looked weird as heck. You know how young, especially Bud, looked in the <laughs> in the opening credits, like during season nine, for example. <laughs>
4: Yeah, one of my pet peeves, uh, Annabelle. To your point, not to go off on a tangent, is when uh, uh, shows change their theme songs. Yeah. You know, like uh, you might get like it might it usually it's the same song, but it's a different rendition. That sort of turns me off. Like I remember, like for example, even Love Boat, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like like something like Love Boat. Like all of a sudden uh, they went from um, was it Jax Johnson, I think, singing to like Dionne Warwick, like in the final season. And it's like this doesn't sound like that, like you know what I mean. It's like you don't want to change it. The same way we did with our podcast, right? I mean, it's Alex's voice who opens it, and it's that's consistent. It's like you know, <laughs> this is what you want to hear, right? <laughs>
5: yeah, you can't change that. I remember mad about you changed their opening theme song in the last couple of seasons, and I didn't like that. And and Stephen, you you might remember season five of Third Rock from the Sun. Yes, they had an entirely different sounding theme opening it's the same song but a, a more jazzy version
2: yeah and i didn't care for that one either
5: but they brought it back to the original in season six like they realized their mistake
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> usually that's uh i wouldn't call it a jump the shark moment but when they change the theme song that's a sign your show's not going to be on much longer
4: right exactly mm. i mean dallas did it I mean, again, and shows. I cannot, you know, I understand the logic behind it. The show's been running a very long time, so we want to like change it up a little bit. But uh, there's certain things that it's like that need some consistency, and like uh, music to me should generally be consistent once it's established.
2: You know, I think that was one of the things that ruined um, those Sony DVD releases of Mary with Children. You know, they yep. changed that music, and God, it's awful.
4: Yeah, I mean how could you not to me it's like hearing Frank Sinatra sing that song right
1: uh-huh.
2: that's the
4: cue it's like and it and it's and it's sarcastic you see what what I loved if I could go back to just you know watching the pilot episode as a kid I was familiar with the music of Frank Sinatra obviously right Italian American even at 8 years old I loved hearing Sinatra music right and having read the uh the TV guide that week And it's like, okay, this is a not-so-perfect family. You know, there was a little bit of press, and I was watching that Fox premiere uh, with Tracy Ullman that night. And as soon as, like, I saw Married With Children come on at 8 o'clock, when I heard that song come on, I'm like, the not-so-perfect family. And I'm like, okay, they're talking about, like, love and marriage. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: And I was just like, oh, wow, like, look, this is sarcasm. This is the sarcasm that they're throwing at me. Like, I got it. Uh And by the time we got to the end of the episode, I was like, oh, just like look at the sarcasm. I mean, it's like a, an imperfect family and they're just like, you know, snipping at each other. I was like, this is awesome. And again, and I watched it again at nine o'clock, <laughs> you know? And again, and like in the second time watching it through, that's why I was hooked because I was like, okay, I get the joke. Again, I, I don't think that people, like not everyone can understand that you know about, you know, sort of that comedy but i'm saying even that opening theme song you know you recognize that there's sarcasm there by taking it out with sony and again i know it was because of it was monetary reasons behind it i mean it loses it loses its punch
0: yeah, yeah it does yeah. It, it it's a shame too because the uh, aside from the opening theme song issue i really like the sony releases the the artwork on the cover the artwork on the the booklets on the inside is nice they have some speci- some nice special features but that song is definitely a uh, <laughs> a major negative.
4: Yeah, for sure. unfortunately, they're not complete though. I mean, I know that's your your pet peeve, right, Annabelle?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
5: yeah, I mean, if you find Bundiology they do have a, a a spreadsheet, so to speak, of all the cuts and and whatever. But. Yeah, when those first Sony releases came out, I had to, especially season four for some reason that got a real really bad hack job. So I had to buy a German version of that because it was complete.
0: Yeah,
4: sprechen Sie Deutsch? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess to really enjoy the full, you know the the, the full show, I guess you need the, the you know the Sony uh, co- covers and boxes, and, and then you need like the. The the other disc from uh, from I guess the German or whatever,
4: <laughs> Mill Creek.
0: Right? Mill Creek. There you go. You need Mill Creek that way you get the the theme song and the full episode and then you get the the uh, Sony boxes <laughs> and booklets. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I mean Mill Creek may have put the opening credits back, but they ripped it from season one, so it doesn't sync up and it doesn't sound right. <laughs> I could get into it, but I won't. So, uh, should we go on to our favorite episodes?
2: Should we start with the worst episodes?
5: We can. <laughs> I think well, I think we know which one, what number one will be. And I was
2: going to suggest, name your worst episodes other than enemies. <laughs> <laughs>
5: well, I was going to suggest the same thing, yeah.
2: <laughs> Great minds think alike. I'll, they do. I like to start here. Uh, one of the worst, I thought, was guests who's coming to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I did not like that one. I just thought it was lazy writing. And for your season premiere, you want to have something a lot better to get the audience's attention. Al Goes to the Dogs is another one. I did not like that one. It got so ridiculous about installing a toilet for a little puppy and a, and a ramp. And I'm thinking, when it gets that absurd, I know Mary, which is in the absurd phase, but that type of absurdities will kick me out anytime. And then the worst episode, other than Enemies, is Barely Men. They wasted a good talent of Tim Conway with the lousy writing.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So what are your three worst?
0: I'll I'll pretty much concur with Stephen taking Enemies out of the equation. Barely Men was not good. (laughs) I gave it a 2.5 when we were doing our ratings, and I thought that was being awfully generous, frankly. As I mentioned, I'm not a fan of the Ephraim character, and this was probably his worst episode. (laughs) It was really, really bad. That was not a good episode. Uh, Guess who's coming to breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I agree wholeheartedly. Not good for a a season opener. But, you know, we already talked about why they did what they did as far as introducing Ephraim and introducing Peg's mother to move upstairs. They could have done a better job with it with better writing, but, hey, they did what they did. Al Goes to the Dogs, and I'm pretty much going to agree with Stephen across the board. Al Goes to the Dogs was, I guess I could say it's enjoyable, but it got a little zany and crazy. And I, I really didn't enjoy Calendar Girl all that much, as much as I thought I used to. <laughs> so those are my bottom ones.
4: Yeah, uh, you know, Chris, I'm going to pretty much have to concur, Chris and Stephen, both of you. Barely Men, definitely, After Enemies was... Uh... A very unenjoyable episode, something that, you know, if, if it got deleted from the Married with Children universe, like I wouldn't care much for, you know, I, w- I wouldn't care that it's no longer there. I would say Calendar Girl. I think the setup, I mean, sort of the story, it was a good story. I think that they missed the mark on some of the dialogue. I mean, you could go back to our review of that to, to talk more. I mean, if you want to get more in detail on that. Even something like "Kiss of the Coffee Woman," it's an interesting premise, but I feel like it fell a little flat in, in certain spots. So that's uh, that's sort of my take on uh, season uh, ten.
0: Hey, Luigi, you know, just to add on—well, to add on what you and and uh, Stephen and myself were saying about "Barely Men," we we pointed this out when we were doing the interview. Is they couldn't even get the bear right. Remember, they had. Yeah. They had an they had an actual circus animal, so you know they had the uh, the budget. But that ridiculous bear costume that they had in a couple of the scenes, no. like <laughs> I feel like you could give me two hundred and fifty dollars and I could go to like a Halloween store and find a better <laughs> bear costume than that. Yeah, like it, it it looked it looked like they got a bear costume like from the dollar store or something. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> gonna and they had the budget too because i mean they had tim conway that episode they had a, a circus animal i assume a circus animal is not cheap <laughs> it's like why didn't they spend the money on a decent bear costume because they spent
5: it all on on a on a headset retainer for for mindy
0: for mindy yeah for release of a god yeah
4: <laughs> and let me tell you something i think she looks sexiest with that retainer <laughs>
0: <laughs> but should, I it I, I've always said Bud should have been into her, man. Yeah. they, they no. would have. Made, he definitely should have been into her.
4: No, I know I, because, like, you know, with the retainer, she was wearing that like a, it was like a burgundy dress, like a, like a reddish burgundy dress. I think like that, that was like the best look that she had. Like I said, I wouldn't mind a little blood uh, from I, her.
0: <laughs> I'm still blown away to this day that that that. Nothing floored me more than when she told me that they had a dentist to actually install that. I always assumed that was a prop, that she could right. just slip on and off at will.
4: <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, but what, just going back real quick to Barely Men, Chris, I think one of the things that was telling about Barely Men is, like, you know, I had sent uh, text messages out to our, like, sort of stable of guest co-hosts, <laughs> and nobody wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> What I'll tell you is if you go back and listen to that episode review, we had said, Chris, I don't know if you remember this, that what would have made sense, you know, when the bear goes into the nudie bar, if they had ended the episode with like Alan Bud in the nudie bar with the bear, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know, sort of sitting down and maybe like the bear having a beer, like that would have like, <laughs> like that would have made it maybe taken it from a two to a four, you know? Cause like, I think it just needed the right punchline.
0: Yeah, taking the, the spinoffs out of the equation, because I don't count them as actual episodes, Barely Men might actually be my least favorite episode in the whole series, or at least up to, uh, through season 10. It's my uh, yeah Season 11, I haven't had a chance to reflect on. I know st- season 11 definitely has some, some yeah. clunkers in it, no. yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, through season 10, Barely Men might be my least favorite in the whole series up to this point. <laughs> okay, so Annabelle.
5: The barely men talk is warranted. <laughs> My least favourite episode of season ten, other than enemies, is barely men. For all the reasons you've said, it's it's stupid and there's a clearly a fake bear and that's that's dumb. <laughs> and <laughs> and they have a real bear and they scare poor Lucky with it. And then they just have a obvious fake stuffed bear. Yeah, Tim Conway is is wasted. Yeah, not in a good way. It's just too much clowning around and not very, not very funny.
2: Also, I want to mention it. I think that was the signs of the worst episodes was that the show's meandered. It's kind of like, you don't know where they're going and it's kind of like, I get the feeling that the writers did not know how they were going to end it. You got to know how to end your story. Yeah. In my writings, I usually have an idea of how it's going to end when I get started. But, If you just meander, you're going to lose your audience. They're not going to like it. Even though I thought season 11 is a little bit better, they do a lot of meandering shows too. Where is this going? We have no idea.
0: No. Hey, you know what? Uh, Annabelle, you just made me remember something. Uh, uh, Luigi pointed out that there was one positive from Barely Man. You know what it was? What? They actually had a real bear and lucky standing within, like, a foot of each other, amazingly. And yeah. the two animals didn't attack each other or growl. Th- thank God Lucky didn't growl at that bear.
4: <laughs> I think Lucky's a smart enough dog he knew not to. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Luigi, I think it was you that pointed it out. I mean, that we had two animals within a foot of each other, basically, and they didn't kill each other. <laughs> so that's... Uh, that's the one positive I'll say about Barely Men is that the animal trainers, Stephen Ritt and whoever the animal trainer for, trainer for the bear is, they did a good job. <laughs>
5: yeah, I, th- I think Lucky's a smart dog. Like Lucky the actor is a smart dog, e- even at his young age. I think it's the Blaine episode. You, you can when he's got the the fake hair on at the end of that episode. He's standing on the stairs, and you can see him watching his trainer and following his command, because he looks over there, he looks back, and he looks over there, he looks back, and he stops, and he sits, and then he, then he's clearly been told to walk off <laughs> down the stairs. So he's a very obedient dog, or just very willing to be taught. But back to my other least favourite episodes of this season. There's a lot I could make arguments for, but I'm not really fond of the two two-parters. And I reviewed The Hood, The Bud, and The Kelly with Matt and Steve, Steve Owen, and while they were fun to record, I'm not fond of those episodes, especially part two, I thought it was very, very silly, to the point of being, like, you can be silly, and you can be fun, and it's funny, but this is just stupid, and The whole Charlie's Angels thing with the the three girls. And it's like, where do those guns come from? And why are they called the actors' names and not the characters' names? And (laughs) just little things like that. And I'm not fond of Spring Break either, so that may disappoint you guys. But (laughs) for me, it's just a a, a TNA show, basically. However, I do like part one better than part two. Especially when Alan Griff sing in the shoe store.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I and, agree.
5: and they sing quite beautifully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few in season 10 I I don't like so much. But yeah, they're the ones that stand out anyway.
2: There are so many where you can't even remember what the plot, you know, when I was rewatching watching it. I rewatch all of them before the podcast drops. There are a lot of them True. I just do not remember very well. The only one I found that I didn't remember well that I liked was Turning Japanese. I forgot how well Pat Morita, you know, he just made that episode.
5: Yeah, so would that be one of your favorites?
2: Well, it's one of my honorable mentions.
4: But I guess Annabelle first, so Barely Men, so what are what are your others' least favorites?
5: The Hood, the Bud, and the Kelly Part 2. Maybe Part 1 as well. Um, if we can lump in the two-parters as one episode, okay. I, would, I would do that. But if we want individual episodes other than the Enemies, it's Barely Men, Good part two and maybe spring break part two
4: okay all right understood got it yeah i think those are uh good uh good razzies <laughs>
5: <laughs> so let's turn our frowns upside down and talk about our, our favorite episodes well steven you already mentioned turning japanese as an honorable mention
2: yes turning japanese is my honorable mention are we doing our three favorites or is that it? Is that right yeah. Okay. Yep. Three Tell favorites. Three. I have another honorable mention, and that is how bleen was my Kelly. I really like that one, and I love doing the podcast with it. Luigi and I, and Chris and Matt, we just had fun. Now for my three favorites. Uh, number three is I can't believe it's not butter. I, I will say this is the other one. I wasn't super familiar with it. I forgot it was a Christmas episode. I'm serious because I haven't. I've only seen it a few times. It had been years since I watched it, and uh, I thought it was pretty hilarious. I love that Griff was the main character, and that uh, we just got a, a nice story there. Dudbull to it is my second favorite of the season. I'm sure that'll be on Chris's as well. And because <laughs> he joined us, he wanted to join us, he said it was one of his favorites. And I mean, it's the one time when Al kind of wins, and still, he loses, but he still wins in the end, because... The field is named for him. it was just well done. It was funny. It just hit the nail on the head. And I liked it when we saw Jefferson and Bud working together, because <laughs> that's a combination. You don't see that much. And they had some good comedic timing as well. And the code names that they had <laughs> son of Frankenstein, bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> and then my all time favorite, Bud hits the books. It's kind of strange. that Someone mentioned that before we started that uh, it's a, the only one that got five out of five from all three hosts. Of course, I will admit one thing. That followed enemies. So after enemies, you can only improve. But I thought that was hilarious, the way they incorporated Ms. Hardaway, Bud's perpetual horniness. The only thing it lacked was Peg, of course. it liked, It would have been funnier to... Have her like embarrassed about her son, but I thought it was just a riot. And Beverly Archer is Miss Hardaway coming back. That was just wonderful. That, that just capped it off perfectly. Uh, I'll say it before, I'll say it again. I wish you would have recurred at least two more times, maybe three, like some of the others. And that's all I got to say about that.
5: Great. So, Chris.
0: Well, I guess I'll go next. Steven is correct, and it should probably come to no surprise that anyone who listened to the review of Dudball 2, I absolutely loved that episode. It's one of my favorites and the whole, not just in season 10, but the whole series. This is the type of episode that if someone had never seen Married with Children before and was like, Chris, why do you like it so much? I would show them this episode because it shows what it's like to live the life of Al Bundy, you know, sort of like the the gas station episode and, and some, some others that we've seen it's, it's one of these where you, you really, you want to root for him so bad. You want to root for Al, but you know, before it's all said and done, he's going to screw up just like he almost always does. <laughs> I love that episode. I love, you know, it has a great, great guest star, Terry Bradshaw. He's made a couple of guest appearances on the show. So that's my favorite of the whole season 10. My second favorite would be the two that got away. That's one we did with uh, Luigi, and I think Carolyn joined us in that one, if I remember right. Uh, That was uh, Sheila. Sheila. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had Sheila. Uh, The two that got away, that's a very, very good one. That's another one where you want to root for Al. You think he's going to make some money here. You know, it's a a get-rich-quick scheme here. They got the picture of her. But, again, you know before it's said and done, he's going to screw up, and that's exactly what he does has Shannon Tweed in it. also has Helga and Inga. You know, I love the, and I'm Alga, <laughs> uh, line there. My third one, uh, Harold Sylvester will appreciate this, is Torch Song Duet. He said in the interview that that's his favorite episode. Not hard to understand why. It's a very Griff-centered episode. The guest stars and that, I thought, delivered their lines very, very well, exceptionally well. It has the Caitlyn Jenner, or the uh, Bruce Jenner joke in it, <laughs> so that's funny uh, looking back. My honorable mentions are Requiem for a Dead Briard. You know that was a, a sad episode because we had to say goodbye to Bud, but I thought they did a good job. You know transitioning and bringing in Lucky had a good guest star with Ben Stein. I also have two more honorable mentions. I can't believe it's Butter. You know that's a really good one. Everybody likes that Christmas special. That was another one of Harold Sylvester's centric episodes. And Blonde and Blonder. It's kind of funny. Blonde and Blonder is an episode that before Luigi and I reviewed it, I didn't realize just how good some of the writing is. It's really, really good. We get Lisa Pocote in that episode, Playboy Playmates. That's a really good episode. I always laugh out loud at some of the writing there for the the, uh, actresses. And also Turning Japanese. I guess I can't forget that one either. That's a really good one. It's always good to see Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita there. And uh, I thought they did a good job on that one. So those are my tops.
5: Very good. How about you, Luigi?
4: I'm going to sound like a broken record, I guess. (laughs) But um, just going through the list, like Requiem for a Dead Briard, I enjoyed. I think that uh, they really uh, tapped in on a lot of Catholic jokes. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple of Italian jokes of Father Guido Sarducci. So I, you know, the term that I use is, uh, you know, they had a great mix of the sacred and profane, right? And <laughs> profane meaning is, is not profanity. It just means, like, non-religious. Like, you know, they really, like, did, like, this juxtaposition. You know, the whole, uh, you know, the Catholic priest uh, trying to uh, conjure spirits. That's not two things that go together. Nope. And I think they did it, and I did it very cleverly. I thought that was uh, fun. Reverend Al, you know, as a story, I thought it's funny, it's silly, but like, you know, something that uh, I would, you know, watch again. I wasn't, you know, Matt, you mentioned Blonde and Blonder. I mean, it was fun, but like I I didn't like it so much in the sense that it, I mean, it was parodying Dumb and Dumber, and it was just literally like, you know, stupid line after stupid line. So (laughs) story like wasn't as strong. I, mean, I gave it a four, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, we didn't go to uh, anything higher than a four just because I think story was very uh, weak. Definitely, I'd say Dud Bowl 2. What cracks me up at the end, it's like the TV announcer saying it's like, you know, all these groups of uh, claim responsibility for the uh, bombing of the Al Bundy scoreboard including the National Organization of Women, National Organization of Fat Women, and the government of France. I
1: mean, I thought that just makes me split.
4: That makes me split my sides each time. (laughs) Even in um, Love Conquers, Al, I mean, like my opening line, I don't know if why it just makes me crack up. It's like when Dr. Richelieu says, if you can't reach out to her with a weenie tot, how will you reach out to her with your heart? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is. It, that just like makes me like laugh hysterically every single time. Even though we didn't like Calendar Girl, for example, sort of like the punchline at the end, I mean, that's pretty epic. Again, usually Al gets the epic endings. Uh, and in this case, Bud gets it. Obviously, Turning Japanese with Pat Morita, that was fun. And Torch Song Duet, definitely. But Hits the Books is funny. I mean, I, I think what I find interesting about it is, you know, those are, I mean, between that and Seinfeld, which had done the, you know, that that whole episode on the masturbation. Contest. Yeah, you know, the contest. Like that, it's probably the first time on network television that you had jokes about that. You, you know, I mean, it was a very historic Whereas like maybe today, like, you know, it's probably more common, but these are like firsts that that a show did. So you have to give them props for that. But I think of like my top three, I'm going to go with Requiem for a Dead Briard, Torch Song Duet as number two, and number one is Dudbull.
1: Very good.
2: What are your favorites, Annabelle?
5: I had a more difficult task here, I think. We'll get to the overall season ratings in a minute, but I can't help but notice that the highest scoring episodes are very sporty. And that's not necessarily appealing to me, personally. But I certainly see their merit. Episodes that and there's a lot of scenes in episodes that I like throughout the season, but I'm trying to think of episodes as a whole. So going through the list anyway. I I see for instance, I really like Reverend Owl for a lot of reasons. And I like how Blaine was my Kelly. But I think the first one I put on my list is I Can't Believe It's Butter. It's just a fun episode and there's a lot of scenes where it's just laugh, 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 laugh straight through. And I like the Alan Peggs stuff as well in there. And Peg's in it. (laughs) And I also like Bud Hits the Books. I think that's a very strong. It's probably one of David Faustino's best. I mean, yes, he gets embarrassed, but the like I've said before, these bud-heavy episodes are very good in these later in this final act of Married with Children. And for a third, I went back and forth. I Either went with no, I think I think I'll go with Long Love Conquers All just because uh, we reviewed it, and it was fun to review. And it's one of those things where I appreciated the episode even more after discussing it so those are the three i would probably pick but as honorable mentions i would probably go with how blame is my kelly and i also have a soft spot for kiss of the coffee woman and i not entirely sure why I mean it's not the strongest episode but I like the idea and everybody even though Peg's not in it everybody is used and it's nice to see Jefferson shine a little bit and we've got Jefferson and Kelly acting together and you rarely see that yeah I find that a quite a fun episode and Mr. Director's in it and I've already mentioned how much I love him So they're the ones that stand out to me, but as for uh, a one favourite this season, I don't have one favourite, I just have a few that I really like. So we know what the lowest rating season podcast episode of this season is. It's Enemies. A clear winner.
2: (laughs) Mean loser. (laughs) If
5: you can call Mm -hmm. it a winner. Yes. Yes. I think it's funny when you see the ratings on the spreadsheet, their average episode score, it's (laughs) (laughs) 0.9. And that's thanks to me. Everyone gave it a 1 except me who gave it a (laughs) (laughs) 0.5. I
0: didn't even know we could go below below a 1.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, what's below 1? I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'll be generous and give it a 0.5, not a 0.
2: Well, if you give it a zero, then you don't have the drive by to put you out of your misery. But that's right. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all it takes is one bullet. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh. So, uh, Luigi, do you want to talk about the highest ranking episodes of, of podcast episodes?
4: Sure. So, if we go just by scores for season 10 or for the all by season? Uh,
5: both, but do season 10 first.
4: Okay. I started this back in season seven, and I went back. So if you've listened to the wrap-up shows since season seven, we have this every wrap-up show so that you can understand what the numbers are. So in terms of on a scale, you know, we rate everything on a scale of actually zero to five, I guess. (laughs) So the only all-star episode we have, the uh, what's it called? Hall of Fame. The only Hall of Fame episode we have this season is Butt Hits the Books. In second place, we have Dud Bowl Two and Torch Song Duet. So we have a tie for second. In third place, we have the two that got away, a 4.33. And I guess in fourth would be A Shoe Room with a View. So that was a 4.25. Now, if you then take the average for the entire season, it's a 3.52. So to go back to our scores, season one was ranked overall as a 3.83, season two as a 3.97, season three as a 3.86, season four as a 4.25, season five as a 4.26, seasons six and seven as a 4.2, Season 8 as a 3.98. Season 9 as a 3.66. And again, Season 10 as a 3.52. So based on the trending, prediction for Season 11 is that it will probably be somewhere south of 3.4. That's my prediction. Mm.
5: Season 11 could surprise us, but I think you're right. I think the trend is going down
4: yeah I mean, and interestingly, from a scoring perspective, and we said this before, season five so far has the highest score at a four point two six. I mean, it's statistically insignificant between seasons four and five, you know, difference of point zero one, but still
1: mm.
4: And again, and th- these are subjective and it's fun. I mean, what you also have to take into account is that for seasons one one and one, two and the beginning of three you had a different podcast team. So, and I know that, you know, what Alex was trying to do was trying to be consistent so that when he started with Jerry and JP, you know, they would go through and review all seasons. So scientifically, probably the scores might've looked different with other people rating uh, episodes. But I think what's also showing is that it's not really that far off in the sense that, you know, the golden years of Married with Children when they really got into their groove was probably around season four. I mean, I have my favorites, which are like seasons two, three, and four, but um, obviously some people we talk to, for example, Carl, one of our guest co-hosts this season, he likes the later seasons episodes. But that's our predictions for season 11.
2: Good. You know, and uh, just to let you know, uh, Tyler and I, along with Stefan, have already reviewed Twisted. I haven't started putting it together yet. That's the season premiere despite a few things, not getting off to a good start.
5: Does it feel like a different show to you, Stephen?
2: It really did because of the changes, you know, the little intro before the credits Mm -hmm. and it's getting really meta, really outside. We've gone from Looney Tunes to Zany Tunes.
5: (laughs) Yeah, Yes, there was a lot of slapping in that episode.
2: Yes, a lot more slapstick.
5: Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to that. Mm -hmm. We haven't really talked about our favorite podcast episodes. We're not talking about the episodes themselves, but these are the episodes that might have been the most fun to record. And I think we'll leave the interviews out of it for now since we've discussed those at length. So we're just focusing on the Married with Children episode podcasts that were our favorites. So just maybe one or two favorites each. Or the ones that stand out, maybe. Because they're all decent.
2: I would say I had a ball with um, Bud Hits the Books I don't know if any of you have listened to it yet.
5: haven't had a chance yet, yeah. but I cannot wait. Yeah,
2: I think another reason why it got a 5 out of 5 is because it's a bunch of guys. When you get on that subject of self-pleasure, of course we revert to our junior high ways, <laughs> as I pointed out. And I just had it all planned in my head and I was going with it. And I will say another one I really enjoyed recording was uh, I Can't Believe... It's not butter I just had fun with it. I ran with it. That was the first time we, I think, I think that was the first time we worked with Stefan, and he was a good addition. So I'll also say that he was a favorite uh, guest uh, podcaster on the show.
0: All right. How about you, Chris? It's hard for me to answer because I, in truth, truth be told, I enjoy all the podcasts. I mean, even for the episodes that are not good, I mean, I enjoyed doing Barely Men with Luigi. We uh, we laughed and made fun of the episode for the most part because it was not good; it was terrible. But I enjoy all of them. I guess if I had to pick a couple of a couple of favorite podcast episodes of the season, I'd probably say the two that got away. And we did that one. Uh, I, I think I think we did that one with Sheila, right, Luigi? So that was fun. That's, that's right. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do one with her. She was she was a lot of fun, and. It's always fun to to, uh, podcast with Carolyn. She's very knowledgeable. She she knows what she's talking about. She knows her stuff. We did uh, Requiem for a Dead Briard with her, and that was a lot of fun. So I'm going to go with those two for my favorite for the season. Real quick, I must say that
2: you mentioned about even enjoying the one podcast where you didn't really enjoy the episode but enjoyed doing the podcast. I felt the same Mm -hmm. way back in Season 9. When Tom and I reviewed Kelly Breaks Out, and then there was, in season eight, it was Sofa So Good. An episode I never really cared for, but I had a blast in that podcast. And it reminds me, when, um, when I was a newspaper reporter a long time ago, wherever I went, including college, I got to review movies. And the joy of writing a negative movie review and drawing on your creativity to figure out a new way to say it sucks other than it sucks... That's just a joy, because that movie just wasted an hour and a half to two hours of your life. Like, for example, in Return of the Living Dead Part 2, I was looking forward to it, was really anticipating it, totally disappointed, and I ended it like this. Return of the Living Dead is dead, and no emergency surgery could possibly revive it, so put away that defibrillator. (laughs) I've given it the last rites, so let's bury this thing, or even better yet, put it in the crematorium. You know, and that's it. When you review something you hate, there's a joy
0: in that. So I can understand where you're coming from, Chris. I remember whenever, I think it was Luigi, beginning of season eight, came to me and said, hey, would you like to help us out with the podcast? I'd say, hey, I'd love to. <laughs> I, mean, I, can, I can sit and we could, we could review an episode every evening if you wanted. <laughs> I, mean, I enjoy talking about the show. You know, even the, you know, obviously there's some episodes I don't like as well as others, but... It's all part of the journey, and it's all part of the adventure and I enjoy I enjoy talking about it, <laughs> yeah, Luigi. What about you?
4: My perspective like on these is that you know obviously I mean, in terms of the process, I guess to our listeners, each group produces their podcast, and then, like I'm sort of like the final check, I actually publish it up to the uh platform so that it's distributed so usually as you all know, like I do the chef's kiss on the episode. Like I just listen. It's like, Oh, maybe it'd be nice to add this in or that, or maybe add layer in some music. So I think I focus a lot on the podcast quality, like in terms of like what's going out. So like certain things tickle my funny bone, like, uh, with, uh, Barely men like when I when we ended the podcast, I have the music, (laughs) uh, the Daniel Boone music plays at the end, you know. So it's sort of like you know, my little kiss to sarcasm. I don't know if people pay attention to that, but you know, there's always a reason for certain things. In terms of like uh, some of my favorite podcasts to record, Blonde and Blonder was uh, probably at the top of the list, and for me, it was personal because I was able to get Mr. B, who was a teacher at my high school to be on the podcast, and he was probably one of the the first people that I spoke to regularly about Married with Children back in the day, back when it was first run. So it was a thrill to me to be able to talk again the way we used to about an episode and analyzed it. So it was a great trip down memory lane for me. And then obviously we did uh, the two that got away with Sheila, another friend of mine from high school. But we didn't really talk much married with children, but uh, it was interesting just to get her perspective. So that was a nice thing. Uh, and I did, of course, enjoy Requiem for a Dead Briard. Anytime we're on with Carolyn, it's great. But uh, like, I, like I mentioned to you, that the topic was good, and producing that episode was a lot of fun. And even though we all hated this episode, Enemies was a lot of fun to do. So, uh, I will say producing a uh, recording that one, I think was fun. I think we all had some fun on that one. And, uh, except for Tyler not being there, we were all present. And even the production for that, uh, was uh, pretty fun to do.
2: That was fun. It's was kind of like what I said, you know, it's fun to trash something you hate.
4: Yeah. And, uh, finally, what I'll say is, uh, recording, uh, I mean, I think, I mean, we'll talk about our guest co-hosts, but, uh, Recording Torch song duet with Lou Jones, uh, who's been our frequent commenter on YouTube. That was a lot of fun as well. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about him. Yeah, you're right, man. He was a lot of fun. He very different perspective. It was a lot lot of fun working with him.
5: I agree with the the enemies (laughs) recording. Yes, there was alcohol involved, but it was nice to have everybody there, even though Tyler couldn't make it, just like he can't make it today. I mean, the next time we get everybody on we should try to get everybody on tell Tyler there's an interview or something (laughs) (laughs) other than enemies the two that stand out I suppose well turning Japanese I mean that's a fun episode to watch but it was even more fun to record and like uh Luigi and Chris said it was great to be on with Carolyn again and I love Carolyn you know she goes back to the the old days she was she was there way before I was so she's someone that I sort of looked up to and I'm I'm happy to call her my friend now. And every time I find something on David Garrison, I send it to her. And if she's in New York and he's in New York, she's like, thanks. I'm, I'll go see him tomorrow, you know, <laughs> in a show here, and a show there. I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm jealous, but I, I don't hate her for it. So, yeah, turning Japanese, that was a lot of fun. And the other one that stands out is The Weaker Sex, That was myself and Matt and Tyler. And Tyler really liked that episode. He gave it a a five. That's one of those episodes that I liked more after discussing it. And there was a lot in that episode to discuss. There was a lot to talk about from... In different... um, Varying different things as well. And we actually talked for about three hours. And then somehow I edited that down to about two hours twenty... I mean, there was a lot in there, but there was a lot I could have taken out. And there's probably still more I could have taken out, but I sort of wanted it to to keep the length as much as possible. But that was a good one to record because we were sort of on fire talking about all the topics and things that were brought up in that episode. Everything from the weaker sex itself to Miranda to <laughs> to whether or not Bud gets sexually assaulted and, you know, all sorts of things. You know, it's a huge, a huge gamut of things. In that episode, So The Weaker Sex and Turning Japanese and Enemies are probably my top three. But there's no podcasts that I don't like.
4: One note that I'll make uh, to our audience, you know, I, I produced all of the interviews. And what I will say is I had a blast with every single one of them. Mm. I think I learned a lot about each of the interviewees, some of the work that they did. For example, going back to Michael Moyet, it's like, okay, here's like the first, his first television script that was performed on Good Times. It's like listening, fi- like finding those clips, listening to it, you know, watching them. With Lisa Picard, I mean, like all, like her corpus of work, uh, that was the first one where it's like we really tried to make a concerted effort. It's like each of her television appearances that we talked about to have a clip which then I use as a template for the Harold Sylvester interview and the Jennifer Lyons interview. And I've really got to like learn a lot about them. I mean, you watch Lisa Picard as Mindy or Harold Sylvester as Griff, and that's what you see them as. But then it's like all of a sudden it's like, hey, you know, here are maybe like some obscure TV shows or films that they did. And uh, to see them on screen, to see their career progress from the beginning till the present day, that is it's it's very interesting and very fulfilling because then you get to know the actor and actress a lot better. So I enjoyed all of them, and I hope everyone appreciated uh, the production on that.
5: I think they would. I mean, I, I certainly do.
0: You do a great job, man. It's uh, what you do and, and what Annabelle does behind the scenes and, and, and Stephen. I, I always say, you know, as, as far as the... You know, the, the team with Luigi and myself, Luigi does 95% of the work. <laughs> all I do is show up and talk Married with Children with him for an hour <laughs> when we record, you know. the All the behind-the-scenes editing and dropping in the audio clips and stuff like that, that's where the work's at. You know, and, and you you do a, an amazing job. I mean, especially the last handful of interviews, they've, they've been masterpieces, really. I just wanted to say that
2: uh, in producing them, a- I've noticed how, one, I've gotten faster and more creative.
4: Yeah, I, I think that just comes with practice, right, yeah. Stephen? Uh, I'm definitely producing a lot faster today than I was a year ago when we were doing season eight.
2: Mm. When you get the method down, that's half the battle. Absolutely.
5: Yeah, I just I finished the jokes on our last week, and that was very easy to produce. So even though I've cut back a little bit, and Matt does some of them now, once you have an idea, idea of what you're doing and if you've got a clear vision about that episode as well then it's it's pretty easy to do you just got to give yourself the time to do it and that love of of doing it can show through with the care that we take on it and you know the amount of clips that we find sometimes I mean Luigi you found so many and if you can't find something I'll, I'll certainly try my best to find it usually in a Secret hiding place somewhere. Or
4: <laughs> well, you, I, I call you the bloodhound because uh, <laughs> if, it, if it exists, you know where to find it. <laughs>
5: or at least try to. Yeah.
2: One of my first breakthroughs was uh, in season eight when I produced the, um, oh, what was that? The Dances with Wheezy. You know, also being a fan of the Jeffersons really helped me out on that one. Because that was pl- the subplot to Al and Jefferson want to go to the sports bar. And that's when you can really tap it, when, you, when you're really passionate about something. Hell, I even had fun producing Sofa So Good because I, I wanted to trash it a lot. I still appreciate the humor, but overall I didn't care for it that much. Yet, I can still come out with something good.
4: Uh, you know, the uh, Dances with Wheezy, like, I just loved, like, the last 30 seconds of that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, you know, the cutout, and then, like, we cut out to that Jefferson's uh, ending music.
2: <laughs> I also liked it just kept using Bud and Ke- or Kelly singing the Jeffersons, <laughs> thinking it was Thomas Jefferson.
4: <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> that was my start of going back in time to previous episodes. <laughs> And I think we get faster too. I noticed Tyler and I usually ours yeah. were really really long and they've been scaling back lately. So, I think that helps too.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean every 15 minutes of airtime uh, equals another hour of editing at least. Would, yeah,
1: that's a good
2: <laughs>
1: good analogy.
5: We mentioned a uh, a couple of our favorite well a couple of our podcast co-hosts there. We've had a a, a few new people this season as guest co-hosts and a lot of returning favorites too. I'm pleased to say. So other than, so we had Carolyn and we had Steve Owen back. Always good to have him on. Luigi, you talked about Mr. B and you had Sheila.
4: That's her real name.
5: Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we had Steve Owen back again for a two-parter. That was great. It was all Australian special. And we had Alyssa back, and Carolyn made another appearance. And then we started to get a couple of new people who were sort of well, more well known from YouTube, really. Some are coming to the group now, but I'm talking about Carl, Mr. Wildcat, and Lou Jones, who you mentioned. And also, we have a new addition in Stefan. And I haven't recorded with Stefan yet, but we definitely will be in season eleven.
0: Yeah, Carl and Lou and Stefan were great. It was fun working with all three of them. Yeah, I remember when Stefan
2: reached out to me and he asked about possibly being, Or first we were just talking about different things. Anyway, when he reached out to me, we were just talking about the different episodes we were talking about, mostly uh, Tyler and I, and we talked about other ones. He asked about being on. And I'll never forget after he uh, heard the Titanic, not the Titanic, the ship happens episode in season nine. That's when he, um, he contacted me and says, your partner got so much wrong on the Titanic. I'm a Titanic buff. (laughs) And so, and he was able to talk to Tyler about that. Of course, that was season nine. And uh, I told him, well, look at some um, possibilities for season uh, 10 and we'll start working with you. And Carl started posting his uh, reviews on the Facebook page. Remember? He had a few videos there. And yeah. I thought, why not invite him on? He joined us for Bud Hits the Books. So I wanted to give him this, another chance. I didn't know he also did, I think, Torch Song Duet. When he did Bull 2 with uh, Tyler and Chris and I, when you get four on there, it's really crowded. He's kind of a quiet guy. And I thought, he didn't get to say much. So I wanted to let him come back on. And I will say the chemistry Stepan and uh, Tyler and I have developed really has come off well, so he'll he'll be back again. Trust me with Tyler and I.
4: Above all else, we just want to thank everyone. One of the things that's important about what we do, and I feel like one of our mantras is we want to hear differing opinions. I mean, look, like I like I like early season episodes. You know, someone like Carl likes later season episodes, right? And I think we all look at married with children from different perspectives, you know, some people like, for example, the writing, some people like the gags and the slapstick, you know, Annabelle, you like to focus also on wardrobing, you know, <laughs> and, and, and really like, I think the point of this podcast has been to get like a 360 degree view of this show, both from a perspective of like what was delivered as well as, you know, fan reactions. So, you know, we appreciate everyone who's on Everyone who comes on is very well prepared. Everyone is as enth- is enthusiastic as we are. And I think that was you know, some of the stuff that uh, Alex uh, wanted, especially I think when he stepped away. I mean, he said to me that he knew that we wouldn't uh, drop the ball on uh, the quality and the enthusiasm. So from us to all of our co-hosts and to our listeners, thank you.
5: Yeah, big thanks to you all and you know you know I, I like to mix it up I've often said oh we should we should do this we should do that and it's great to hear more women on the show and I always invite women to come and talk about married children a show that could be seen as a very male sort of show but come and tell me it's not so on a related note so I've mentioned before that there will be a female roundtable discussion on Married with Children, and that is coming quite possibly before the beginning of Season 11, or at least part of Season 11. I think it will debut the season, maybe. (laughs) But it will be me and Carolyn and Alyssa and maybe a couple of surprise guests.
0: Hey, hey, Annabelle, are are y'all going to... Are y'all going to review an actual episode, or is it just going to be like a just a a general overall view? uh, It's going to
5: be a general thing. We're not going to review a specific episode unless we want to, but we're not taking an episode away from somebody else in season eleven, for example. So we're going to talk about anything that any of us want to. I would like to discuss the characters in in full, for example.
0: Awesome, that would be fun. Yeah, you know, like women
5: talking about Al, for example. That's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Luigi hit the nail on the head when he said it's it's interesting to hear different perspectives. You know, uh, younger fans, older fans, male, female. One of the things that surprised me the most out of this is that there's so many people that like the the, the latter seasons better. I, I always thought that conventional wisdom was that the show was in its prime, seasons two through five. My personal favorite is season five. You know, I know a lot of people like season three and, and four, but I always thought it was kind of the, the universally agreed that the first half of the show was better. But there's a lot of people that like season, you know, nine the best or season 10 the best, you know, or season eight the best. So that's fun to hear that. That's fun to, to talk to people and hear, you know, why, why do you like season nine the best? Why do you like season 10 the best? I suspect a lot of it is that, you know, the, the third and final act that we've talked about has a lot of really cool characters, really neat and interesting characters that are introduced. But that's fun to hear different perspectives from people, you know. And by all means, if if we have any females out there that uh, are listening to us that we don't know about, please speak up in the YouTube comments. Let us know, you know. uh, Facebook. I know we all know about. And Facebook, yeah, same on Facebook. You know, if you're listening and you've been listening for a number of years, and you know, you'd like to join us for a... For a podcast or two, give us a shout out. You know, we know about Carolyn and Sheila and Alyssa and, and others, but we would certainly love to hear from others.
5: Yeah, I do have a couple of friends, female friends, who who listen to some occasional episodes, and, and they might be in the Facebook group, but they're too shy to interact. So I might try asking one or two of them as well, just to at least you know give some sort of input. Maybe pre-record yeah. something, but. Yeah, a, a couple of them
2: are quite shy.
5: I think it even goes
2: back to Alex Jamie on you know, to get a female perspective. I thought that was an awesome thing to do.
0: Yeah. I've often said that I think one of the funnest behind-the-scenes interviews that we could do if if we're able to get it would be someone like Stacey Lipp. You know, she was the producer and, and writer of a lot of, some of the best episodes in the whole series. I think it would be very interesting to talk to her from a female perspective, working behind the scenes and married with children and, and writing for it and, and such. So definitely, you know, if you're a female listening to our, listening to our podcast, please speak up in the YouTube comments, you know, give us a shout out, say, say give us, let us know what you think. Speak up on the Facebook page. We'd, we'd love to hear from you.
5: Indeed, Indeedy do. Okay. So we're getting to the tail end of our podcast here. So I go back to what I said at the start. Has Married with Children jumped the shark? Or should I say, when did the show jump the shark? Or maybe you think it didn't jump the shark.
4: So it's a great question, Annabelle. I'll, I'll lead with this. Um yeah. And I, hopefully I don't cloud everyone's opinion. But if you recall, Annabelle, uh, you and I had started working on these uh, notes back in uh, early 2020 that we use uh, to review the episodes. And as I got to the end, and this was in May of 2020, so it was just before the, the switchover occurred, Alex had asked me the question, and he had said, like when, do you, like, when do you think the show actually jumped the shark? And, you know, I had read all the scripts, and I put together the notes for each of the episodes, and I said, it appears to be in the middle of season 10. So that's like sort of like the general answer. And I really feel like it happened around, I mean, you can't really like just say like, you know, it was like one episode or that. I mean, like, look, you have Bud Hits the Books, which seems to be pretty popular, at least, you know, for the people who reviewed it. And, you know, we have a Hall of Famer. But I would say around the time of The Hood, The Bud, and The Kelly. Like, again, that's sort of the middle of the season. The Can't Believe It's Butter episode was pretty good. Barely Men was definitely a dud. It just seems to get weaker from like that point onwards. Again, you know, you have a couple of episodes that stand out. But overall, even if, if you look at our scores, you know, you're averaging anywhere between like about a two and a half or two and three quarters up to a three and a half. Whereas uh, if you look at the beginning of the season where, you know, the average is, is slightly higher. Again, but even though you still have outliers. And that's sort of my take on the shark.
0: Well, it's, um, it's hard to argue that. I, I will say this. After reviewing season 10 and going through it episode by episode, I will say that I like it a lot better than I thought I did. Before we started with season 10, I, if you would have asked me, hey, Chris, on a scale of one to five, what would you rate season 10 as a whole? I probably would have said like a two. <laughs> My opinion would have been pretty low on it, but after actually going through it episode by episode, I would probably say like a, a three or a 3.2, somewhere on you know somewhere between a three and a 3.5. You know I, I did enjoy it. Admittedly, the show struck, uh, the, the season struggled in Katie Segal's absence, no doubt about that. Uh, they had a couple of dumb ideas, or uh, I'll, I'll say they had a couple of ideas that turned out to not be delivered well. An example was Ephraim, uh, Peg's mom, the enemy spinoff. Uh, but they they made up for it with characters that we know and love. The writing was weak at times. There was definitely some stinkers, some clunkers along the way, most notably barely men. But overall, I liked season 10. I would agree that Around the mid midpoint of the season, it, it, the writing definitely went down, but in, in the defense of the show and in defense, in defense of the writers, I would say that's due to Katie Seagal's absence. You know, look, when you have one of your co-stars out, you, you have to figure something out, and they came up with the idea of, of Ephraim and Peg's mom. Now, that, uh, in retrospect, was maybe not the best idea, or if it was a good idea, it, it certainly wasn't delivered well, but... I like season 10 better than, than, than I thought I did. You know, if you would have asked me six months ago, when when did the show jump the shark? I would have said season 10 for sure. But now I'm not so sure, you know. Um, I do know that there's there's some definite clunkers ahead in season 11. No doubt about that. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see what season 11 uh, has in store for us. <laughs> I feel like I gave a I felt I feel like I rode the fence a little bit on that answer, but I don't think season ten is as bad as what I thought before. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, my thoughts
2: are jumping the shark usually involves a whole plot point, not just quality. Because most shows do lose quality over time. Very few had quality all the way through. I'm not gonna say that this show jumped the shark at this point. Uh, earlier, I was contending that Seven, when they introduced Seven, that forced them to jump the shark, but I always claim they jumped back over the shark when they went back the other way, once uh, he was written out of the, of the of the family. They're still consistent is the aspect that these guys, that the Bundys are poor, that they don't respect each other, however they do love each other, that's still there. So I'm not going to say the show has jumped the shark at this point. I'm just saying the quality is going down. Because I do think there is a difference. Of course, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong.
5: No, I think you're right, Steve. Jump the shark to me usually means a specific moment or an event. Like you say, something's happened and then the show has declined. But I think it came up gradually. Um, But... Season ten is weaker for me than season nine, and it remains to be seen if season eleven is weaker than season ten. I can probably guess where it's going, but I think if we're talking, if we're calling it jumping the shark, I think the show has. But like Stephen said, I think it's just a decline in quality because the show is running out of ideas, and it doesn't help when one of your cast members is away for half a season. And it's certainly not her fault, but, you know, they could have coped with that absence better. And when your first episode isn't, the first episode of the season is not strong, it doesn't really set you up for for much. And you've got these new characters that have come in and they're not particularly great. And you realise they're sticking around for a bit. It's like, "Mm, okay. But to Luigi's point, halfway through season 10 is when i really notice because I mean, uh, most of the first half of season 10 i quite like there's some there's some strong stuff there There's also really silly stuff but yeah around the time Belly men and then the two-parter with Hood, the bud and the kelly and then a few episodes after that up until about turning japanese where they sort of focused on marcy a little bit more and then bud they put the focus back on bud a bit more too the season started to pick up a bit at the end, but that middle of season ten is, is is this sort of chasm of of weakness that I'm not very fond of at all. And yeah, it's just it's just a weaker season. Is it the weakest of all? We will find out in about twenty four, twenty five episodes time.
3: Hello, Married to Children fans. This is Matt from Team Australia. I couldn't join the rest of the podcast crew in the nudie bar the other night because, well, the bouncer wouldn't let me in. Seriously though, I had internet issues and it was an absolute struggle, so uh, I just couldn't get on that night. But thankfully, I'm here now and I've still got to, have to drop a few pointers about season 10 of the Murder Children podcast. Firstly, I'd like to talk about, uh, not just Season 10 itself, but, uh, what's happened over the rec- time we've recorded Season 10. So we recorded the season between August of 2021 and, uh, May of 2022. So, yeah, well, the, well, the proper show was done in May, so it was quite a little bit that's happened since then. In that time, I gave one of my good friends the complete series for her 30th birthday last year. We watched a few of when I was visiting her in another city, uh... Uh, I was part of the um, Harold Sylvester interview. I was very honoured to do that, even though I almost missed it. Funnily enough, as I said goodbye to one of my other friends um, just earlier that same morning, so to speak. Uh, A night and morning to always remember. So, Maddie, Mitch, Jess, if you're listening to this, uh, this this, that that interview is for you. And uh, Jody, uh, this uh, season is is for you uh, because I was visiting you when I when I gave this over. And it's, uh, even even this late in this run, there are still quite a few good episodes. Uh, still quite a few good episodes in this season, if if you, if you ask me. No surprises, but my least favourite episode of this season is "Enemies." Enemies, however, was my favourite podcast recording of this season, in part because it was recorded on the evening of my 31st birthday, and we all had, we had, we had, a, few, we had a few drinks, and it was a nice way to wrap up a nice day, Yeah, well, another, another day I'll remember from this season, so season 10, so far, on a personal level, I think is my most memorable for pod, podcast recording season for me. But yes, enemies. Worst episode of the season. Best podcast record episode. That's for sure. Just my two cents. As for um, my favourite episodes of the season, well, I'd have to say uh, Reverend Owl's up there f- f- for me. The way he tries to start a church. Fight of the bumblebee. Uh, or flight of the bumblebee. I should say. Uh, that was another another classic one for me per- per- personally. Especially with you know, uh, well, Bud getting in the ring of the wrestler. <laughs> I gave that a solid 4 4. Uh, but hits the books. Uh, this season's sole Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I believe that deserved a solid 5 across the board. Uh, that, that is an episode that will tr- truly live down in, in memory and uh, I think easily a hi- hi- highlight of this season. Also, like Dud Bowl 2, I liked. Uh, what else do I like in the season? The Spring Wake ones are pretty antic filled. Requiem for Dead Briard, a very sad episode, but very notable and proof that the Bundy the Bundy uh, buck lived on. A form of lucky. I can't believe I forgot to cook with butter. Honestly, what is wrong with me? That is another favourite podcast and episode of mine in this season. This season's Christmas episode. You're cooking with butter. I actually rewatched that one when I was visiting the friend who I got the DVDs for for her thirtieth last year. So. That's um, another favourite of mine for this season. Even though Peg's mum is not one of the hot birds, so to speak, of this season. But you're cooking with butter. If you haven't watched it or listened to the podcast for it, watch it, listen to the podcast, thank me later. One thing I disliked about season 10, which in part makes it my second least favourite of the show personally... After season eleven, which is my least favourite season, but that's for another time, was the absence of Katie's goal in the late in some of the later episodes of the season. Obviously, she was um giving well about to give birth or just giving birth, so she couldn't be in them. But the show isn't the same when one of the main four isn't there, or by extension, one of the main six. Marcy being the fifth, and Jefferson at this point in time being the sixth. So some of the episodes suffered without Peg, but uh. I still think this was a better season than season 11, but, ha- however, uh, season 10 overall, s- s- up, was a, p- p- a, the show started to decline by, by this point, it's evident by the, like I said, um, diff- varying writers, and like so, some of the writers may not have been familiar, familiar with the show, some of the writers may not have with the characters as well, especially because they've been really well established by this point, even though some of them had been flanderized, to quote The Simpsons, so to speak. Yes, yeah, so... So, yeah... So, so it does drag season ten down a little bit, but uh, that, that that's all right. It's still it's still a decent enough season. It's still it's still worth watching if you ask me. And I also give a special mention to uh, the late great Tim Conway as Ephraim Wanker, Peg's dad. Because in my opinion, Married to Children, in its later years, um, managed to do, at least in seasons 8, 9 and 10, after the 7 debacle, no more comments on that, <laughs> um, to keep the show fresh. For season 8, that was the introduction of No Ma'am, and, um, the, the, well, namely Owl's Friends. For season 9, that was the introduction of the amazing Harold Sylvester as Griff, and uh, the amazing Juliet, Juliet Tarblug as Amber. Um, and for season 10, for me, obviously, Tim Conway as Peg's dad. And obviously, because you never saw Peg's mum, but you saw Peg's dad a fair bit. So those three things helped to keep the show fresh in the later years. And also Jennifer Lyons as the amazing Ariel, introducing this season two. So they're still on the course with um, introducing new characters or, and and concepts to keep the show fresh. And Bud moving out of the basement, well, that was a nice touch as well. If he asked me, uh, well, because he moves out, but... He hasn't really moved out. (laughs) Especially because this was the mid-90s, and there weren't as many adult children living at home um, back then as there are now. I'm assuming so, but I don't think there were as many mid-20-somethings living at home in in the US in the mid-90s like there are now. I could be wrong. I mean, I moved out when I was 28, but uh, enough about my personal life. uh, Back to married children. As for hot birds... Well, obviously Jennifer Lyons is up there as the amazing Ariel. Uh I didn't get to interview her, but um the interview, please listen to her interview. It is really good. I messaged her on Instagram and uh she's very polite took the time to respond to me and uh yes, uh what what a legendary actress I must say. But there were definitely other hot birds in this season too. While there were um over 50 hot birds, 57 58 if I recall correctly. Uh that oh so many uh how about I'll just say the entirety of Spring ba- Break Parts 1 and 2. Well, I mean, not just because of the hot, hot birds, but also because it's set on the Floridian Beach. Well, hey, I mean, I, mean, cause I live in... Uh, where I live in Western Australia has amazing beaches as well. Uh, as one of my online friends once said, if that beach was in Florida, it would be packed. So those episodes, I will say, al- along with, the like I said, the amazing Jennifer Lyons... Uh, Yes, and well, season ten is is now done, and I'll just say quickly, well, one more season. I am going to make the most of it because before that it, it'll be all over, and by the time that's over, it'll be t- basically just over two years that I've dedicated to the po- into the as part of the podcast. So, this is it from uh, Matt from Australia, and I well. Aim to be actually on it properly in this, both the Season 11 wrap-up show and the series wrap-up show. But for now, goodbye.
5: And what has Season 11 got in store for us? Well, you'll notice that there, especially at the end of Season 10, there's an increase in ending scenes. There's extra scenes during the end credits, for example. I mean, well, during, not for example, that's what they are. There's ending credits, uh, sorry, there's ending scenes during the end credits. There's extra scenes during the end credits. A lot of them, depending on which DVD version you have, not available, Uh, some people might not have seen. So that's why I've uploaded, I think I've put them all on YouTube. And this is something they started back in season 7. You know, there's a couple of episodes in late season seven... You know, with Kelly in the courtroom waiting for her cheeseburger. And then in season eight, they did it a couple of times. You know, with the owl with his birthday present with the ties. His shirt and the pants. And then not so much in season nine, if at all. Season ten, again, they just started up doing this. And I'm wondering if they did that consciously or not. Because in season eleven... Like you said, Stephen, we'll get the the cold opening with the episodes before the credits and then we'll get an extra epilogue. We'll get an epilogue after the the written by, directed by credits for season 11. Not every single episode, but most of them. And I'm just wondering if season 10 started to set up for that. Or they realised that, oh, this is working, is to keep people watching the show after the last commercial break. We'll have an extra scene. But because of the way the DVDs are made, you may not have seen them all from season 10. So I put them all on YouTube. For example, the very last scene in all of season 10 is Griff in the electric chair. And if you haven't seen that scene, I mean, I don't know. You might not know what has happened. And then the beginning of season 11 will explain, will resolve that storyline. And you might be confused about what was going on. I mean... There's The end of jokes. The Jokes on our has, you might have a, a still image of Griff in an electric chair, but there's a whole scene there. And we talked about that in the podcast last week.
2: And uh, we talked about that when we recorded Twisted just last week. So mm. brought that up. Mm-hmm. I would like to say something we do have in store in season 11, and I'm working the final details out, is we're going to have... How do you call it? Uh, Like uh, when the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. A crossover, that's it. We're going to have Alan and Donna Stare from the WKRP cast join us for a Bundy Thanksgiving. Because the end is very much like the most famous WKRP episode ever. So, look for that one.
5: Excellent. Can't wait for that one. So yeah, there's a lot of behind the scene changes for season eleven. For example, I think the main thing is they get a brand new executive producer. So Moye and Lever are gone, are long gone. Now they bring in Pamela Eels or (laughs) Els. It's Eels, isn't it? For season eleven, we can we can discuss that next season. But there is a there is a change coming, and there's some new writers. And there's some of the old remaining writers, but there's a lot of new writers that I think was mentioned in a couple of Moyer's interviews. These new writers studied Married with Children <coughs> in college, or they're fresh out of college and they've come and written for a show. And I've been through the notes for season 11, and there's a lot of jokes there that I'm not sure these these kids, for lack of a better term, have... Are familiar with the show or not because there's a lot of things that contradict things that we know about the characters and we'll discuss that in the episodes as we come to them but there's a lot of instances we're like no 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 this that doesn't gel with this and whatever i mean will season 11 feel like a different show that's the question i have going in and that's a question for next season's wrap-up show so the episodes that we have to look forward to next season in season 11 are Twisted Children of the Corns Kelly's Got a Habit Requiem for a Chevy Weight Part 1 Requiem for a Chevy Weight Part 2 A Bundy Thanksgiving The Jugs Have Left the Building God Help Ye Remarry Bundyman. Crimes Against Obesity The Stepford Peg Butt on the Side Grime and Punishment Trash Breaking Up is Easy to Do, Parts 1, 2, and 3, Live Nude Peg, A Babe in Toyland, Birthday Boy Toy, lesbian Friends, Damn Bundies, The Desperate Half Hour, How to Marry a Moron, and Chicago Shoe Exchange.
4: And uh, one thing I want to point out to everyone... I mean, this is, as we all know, the last season of Married with Children. It'll be the last season of the podcast. (laughs) I mean, I think past season 11, I mean, the podcast may have some uh, specials, perhaps, uh, maybe some more interviews. But, uh, you know, once we're done, I mean, there's not much to talk about except maybe like some specials that we do, which may come out from time to time. I don't think we figured that out yet. We are planning a season 11 wrap-up show as well as a series series wrap-up show and we do want your participation in this and i think in the coming weeks and months we will have probably a better plan in terms of what we want to do but we do want to have everyone's participation whoever would like to participate maybe with uh maybe like some retrospectives on the show maybe like a minute or so talking about what the show means to you and something we'd like to have in our series wrap-up show so uh, stay tuned for that
5: Yes, indeed. Uh, Stephen and Chris, is there anything you want to add before we wrap up?
0: I don't think so. It's been fun. You know, season ten's been fun. It's, uh, as I said, it's uh, a lot better than what I thought, uh, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens with season eleven. And I'm looking forward to uh,
2: getting through season eleven. I'm just looking forward to another season. Annabelle, you mentioned it's kind of sad, thing bittersweet because. We only have one season left, but, uh, and I feel the same way, I feel the same way.
5: Yeah, it will be bittersweet, but I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll mind what works in season 11. I think we'll have some fun. And like I say, I like to mix it up. So we might have some new interesting people on, some new guests, and like Luigi said, maybe a couple more interviews. I mean, we'll certainly try. So that wraps it up for season 10 for us in the Jiggly Room. We will be back for season 11, but before that, we're going to take a little break. So at least a month, a few weeks off to regroup, record, get some episodes in the can, get some new guests on. And like I alluded to earlier, we might start with a special episode. So we'll certainly try to get some more interviews under our belt as well. We never never know who we're going to secure. I think there might be a surprise or two. but first we're just going to take a few weeks off to to regroup and then prepare ourselves for what will be a bittersweet season so thank you all for listening and thank you gentlemen for joining me in my jiggly room (laughs) (laughs) it's always fun to record these with everybody I'm sorry that Matt and Tyler couldn't make it today but you would have heard from them in this (laughs) however many hours we've been talking and we'll see you all again very soon. Take care, stay safe, and we'll see you soon back in the Jiggly Room. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel.
1: Whoa, whoa Bundy! <laughs>